Hi, everybody. This is Jim Cornette, pro wrestling legend, and you're listening to the Book in the Territory Unprofessional Wrestling Podcast. Who messy distance professional wrestler Jimmy Vine, the Boogie Wicker Man. Tell my people, my brothers and sisters, don't you dare, don't you dare miss Booking the Territory. Oh, yeah. This is a one-man gang. You're listening to Booking the Territory Pro Wrestling Podcast. This is the artist formerly known as Daryl Van Horn, James Mitchell, the Sinister Minister, and I'm here to let you know I would rather slam my cock in a car door than to miss the dulcet tones of Hard Body Harper, my illegitimate son on Booking the Territory podcast. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone, to this week's episode of Booking the Territory, the unprofessional wrestling podcast. This is the Christmas edition because this is dropping on December the 20th, 2018, five days before Christmas. Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy New Year. All that good stuff. Well, we'll tell you Happy New Year next week or the week after, whatever. But it's the Christmas edition. And because it's the Christmas edition, we got a loaded episode. One, we're going to take a run through September the 5th of 1987, NWA Saturday Night on TBS. And Bo James returns later in the show for his time with, uh, we, we had a long conversation. Let me just say that. Lots of stuff. Ron Wright, Dutch Mantel, just a, a host of things. We talked about everything being a work, like football, pro sports, all that stuff. Good time with Bo, as usual. We talked a bunch of continental wrestling. So we'll get to that shortly. But for now, I'm sitting here with Doc and Hard Body Hopper. Let me ask Hopper first. Hopper, how are you, man? Dude, you know what's my new drug? That show fucking Catfish on fucking MTV. You ever watch that dumb shit? <laughs> I can't say I have, man. Um, I, watch, I got it uh, on right now. These people got to be fucking idiots. It's got to be a work. Everything's a work, so I, I don't doubt that at all. Yeah. It's got to be. Everything's a work, though. But Hopper, yeah. last week when we were done recording, we were telling you our friend, the T-Rex, uh, he went to Disney World. And... You were disgusted, not because of T-Rex going to Disney World, but did you, didn't you you get mad because you said, why would an adult want to go to, go yeah. to Disney World? Does fucking, now, T- does fucking T-Rex at least have kids? No, no, no kids. Oh, what the f- You see? You see? What <laughs> see what? See what? What the yeah, fuck does a grown-ass man wants to go to Disney World for? Maybe he wants to sniff little boy's booty holes. What a fucking piece of shit. <laughs> do you I, do you... <laughs> I, I just don't get it dude i don't get it why it seems like people want to stay 10 for the rest of their fucking life it's it, it's fucking how old is fucking t-rex he's like our age like he's 44 he's 40 44. fucking four years old and he's going to fucking disney world as an adult to take a picture with donald duck and mickey mouse in front of the goddamn castle what a fucking bitch, bro. <laughs> I, I just don't, look, bro. Like, I, I, like I'm stuck in the '80s, but just the just the 1980s. Like, I liked, I like uh, reminiscing about you know when I used to have the He-Man and the GI Joes, but I, I'm not going to fucking Disney World, bro, by myself 
with me and my fucking friends. And you doing know people that have done that? I know a lot of people that do dumbass shit like that. Well, what do you tell them? <laughs> I said, they're like, oh, well, we're planning a trip to, 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 um, uh, uh, Universal Studios, and this is the last year for the Back to the Future ride. So, you know, we're going to go to ride it, uh, uh, one more time. I was like, I don't give a fuck, bro. Like, I love Back to the Future, but I'm not going, spending thousands of fucking dollars to go to Florida to go sit on some fucking ride for, you know, a minute just to see I fucking did it. I mean, go to fucking Mexico, go to Cancun, go to Costa Rica, Belize. <laughs> I mean, go see the fucking world, bro. You, you, you get caught up in this corporate shit that tells you this is what makes you happy. Fuck you. Grow up. Go see the fucking world. Okay. Doc, I'm joking. I can't tell. All right, Harper. Doc, how are you, man? Uh, well, I think Harper went to Disney World as a young kid and Mickey Mouse slipped his, he slipped his hand down took- Harper's pants. My dad took us all there in a station wagon, just like National Lampoon type shit, when I was like seven years old. Seven. Fuck. Not 40. <laughs> Not at 44. Okay. All right. You know, I don't want to poke holes in this story at all, because I absolutely agree with you, Harper. But don't you have a poster of Roger Staubach up on on your wall? That's 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 uh, Danny White. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, well, he and, did. Uh, like I said, that's from my childhood. Well, is and it Disney? You. Is it Disney World from T Rex's childhood? No, yeah. not anymore. Okay. That's different. I, I get what Harper's saying. I mean, like, uh, think about it. We're on this show. We review wrestling from the 80s and 90s. Now, the 90s wasn't our childhood, but, you know, the 80s, technically, we were still kids, right. and we review old Saturday night episodes from when we were kids. Um, that doesn't mean I want to spend, you know, 3000 on going wow. back in time. It's like these people that collect toys and, and all this shit. It's, it's like I, I'm in all those Facebook groups, and I like to look at it. Like, oh, I remember getting that for Christmas in 1985. Or now I remember I'm going to go stuff some ones down a stripper's fucking... Yeah, it's like, I have no desire to spend $150 on a 1986 G.I. Joe Tomahawk fucking helicopter. No. I don't know. I don't know, bro. I, I, I was a poor-ass kid. If I can get my hands on that fucking aircraft carrier from G.I. Joe, I'm going oh, to spring for it. That thing was seven feet long, bro. I know. Seven feet long. It was like, hey, let's make a, a plastic coffee table and put a little tower on it and sell it for fucking $150 at fucking Toys R Us. <laughs> hey, speaking of money for Christmas, Mike, you showing out big bucks this year for the uh, for the toddler for your uh, your children's? Bro, I mean, I got I got a teenager and preteen, so yeah, money's being spent, bro. It's like you ever see that picture with the little girl just throwing money out the window? Yeah, that's me right now when it comes to man. I feel kids I feel Christmas. like I, you want you didn't ask how I was doing, but let me tell you, uh, I feel like I spent probably half a Smoky Mountain residents' yearly salary on this shit. Yeah, I mean, when you get a kid on. now. That's a teenager. A hooker. Fucking gift cards. <laughs> a hooker. <laughs> nah, it's still in the video games, bro. Like 13, 14. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You can do a video game. Shit. Yeah, it, it ain't actually, it's what not terrible. Told- 
but it's from what but you it's told enough. me, Mike. You better get him uh, uh, some condoms. Yeah, we about he's to have that discussion. No, man, he's thirteen. But we about to have that discussion. I don't know, bro. When did you start? Have... When did you get into it, Mike? Cafe, brother. Last week, right? I mean, it was don't, different. You don't want to be a di- grandpa, dude. It was different, bro. It was hood rats, you know. So I, I mean, it was, it was. Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, we we not in the hood, so I think we might be a little safer. I don't know, bro. I'm just talking. Yeah, this ain't Franklin hey. Avenue. Yeah, but he's this got access. Franklin, to, right? He's got access to white bitches, and you know how white oh, bitches. Okay. Like, you know how? <laughs> well, you know how they like to disappoint their parents. Boy, this is riveting. <laughs> Bo James is a man of God, and we opened up the episode with more mfers and shits and bitches and. Hey, I got to do our disclaimer. If you're here for Bo. And you hate the di- unprofessional part. You might want to fast forward to later in the show where yeah. you didn't go, didn't go far enough and still hear us cursing. Hey, Check so, the timestamp at the beginning. <laughs> at the beginning to make sure you go to bow. Can I segue just slightly? Yes, you can. But let me say something first. Like I said, it's five days before Christmas. You have time. Use the Amazon referral link. It's tinyurl.com slash Amazon. Please. Great way to support this show. So please use that link. What you got, Doc? Have we noticed any uptick in the uh, Amazon numbers? Yeah, because it's freaking Christmas time. Because your people are using all of the resources that are available to them uh, to support the show. It's important. Why? Well, there's a thief out there. Who? And we, what happened when? <laughs> oh, he's, he's, he's mad at Conrad. I, I just want to talk real slow so that, uh, you know. He's from Alabama. I want to make sure he gets everything we're going to say. And, you yeah, know, I can't in, say that when he says raw. This year on a Monday night row, I'm like, fuck. Well, I'm not going to talk about row. Row. And, and I'm not even going to have to cut a promo too much on him. Because I heard the people over on the Facebook group are doing it for us. Is that correct? <laughs> uh, I'd say so, Hopper. Wouldn't you agree? There's people giving Conrad the business yeah. over there. Let me, break nice. it down. Let me break it down for the mortgage man here. You don't like Starcade 83. That's the pay-per-view that makes your whole the whole senior stringing together these days possible, pal. That's him, what he said. Yeah, he he came on and said, "I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't see what people see in Starcade '83." Get the flying fuck out of here! I, I don't even have to cut a you cut. He cut a promo on himself by saying that I don't have to do anything, so we might as well move on. Doc's salty about that, so let's move on quickly. Special. You want to steal our stuff, but have some taste, man. Shit. All right. Special shout out to our largest patron contributors monthly. Disrespectfully, classy Marky Blassie and Hall of Fame patron at K underscore row eighty six. And then a couple of quick shout outs to new patrons out there: Chuck Allen and Hardcore Milo Reviews. Thanks for joining Patreon. Don't forget. On Patreon, you get all of the video reviews that we've been posting. So make sure you, uh, trust me, you want to look at those reviews because you can actually get a visual of the promos as well as the audio. And then again, we got the world-class shows. We got all the pre-shows that we have up. It's over 100-plus episodes at this point on Patreon. So it's tinyurl.com slash Patreon BTT. Besides Amazon, it is... The next well, best when you hit six, when you show. hit six months, Mike will come to your house and give you a toothy blowjob. Oh no, thank you. But I'm glad you said that because all nine month, uh, all patrons who have been at the nine dollar level for seven months, if I haven't gotten with you, email me bookingtheterritory at gmail so I can get you out your t-shirt. If you're at your six month uh, and you're the twenty dollar level, uh, email me and I'll get you out your t-shirt as well. 
So like I said, if you're a $9 patron and you hit your seventh month, please email me if you do your shirt and I will get it out to you ASAP. It's tiny, what I was about to say, tinyurl.com slash BTT. And don't forget to email me at bookintheterritory at gmail.com and I'll be sure to get you out your t-shirt. Uh, let's see, Doc, do you have anything before we get into one, the show? Yeah, 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 yeah. I got one more little thing here. Uh, I just want to point out as we get into Christmas, and this may be the best Christmas present of all, if you know what I'm saying. Looks like for Phil Allen and all the other shitheads out there, I won't have to worry about the aliens coming to uh, the Eagles playing for the for the uh, sanctity of the earth this year with the aliens. These motherfuckers look like a pile of shit out there. The Cowboys look like we're going to go down to the dome and do this thing later in the year. I, I, can, I this has been the most blessed football season I can remember. Uh, Jerry Jones is GM of the year, don't you think? All right, like I said, I'm here to talk some wrestling. So, with that said, do you got anything else, Doc, before we get into Saturday night? Mm, no. Great. That's good to hear. So, we're doing again NWA Saturday night. It's September the 5th of 1987. Uh, I think we got a good show on our hands. It was a quick one, only an hour, so that's always a positive. But the show opens up. We get a replay of Nikita uh, defeating Tully for the NWA World TV title from last week, and the crowd going absolutely nuts. Although there's another segment later on this show where they even go uh, more crazy, I would say. Harper, anything from that opening uh, before we keep it moving? No, that was the same thing, huh? Yeah, I I remember when I first turned it on, I was thinking to myself, did they make a mistake in this upload or, or are we looking at the same exact episode? Because the yeah. last week I believe opened the same way. And I was like, nah, it's really not that, but I think they showed it again because Tully's got a promo at, in this episode where he talks a little bit about it. And I actually like the promo that Tully's going to cut later. So, uh, you know, essentially good stuff there, but doc, anything from you? I do not have time in my life for recaps. Yeah. Okay. You say that. So, with that said, then we go to Barry and Kendall Wyndham. Uh, I don't know about playing this, but I got a complaint. So, is Barry, like, being hot potatoed around? You know, he's doing one thing, and then he's doing something else. He's this and that. He's tagging. Remember, he was tagging with Jimmy Garvin. Like, what, yeah, dude, what the, dude, what the fuck? He was with so Garvin. Yeah. So is it the story, and somebody else will know this more than me, but didn't it, isn't this like Dusty's revenge on him because Blackjack and him, or he left Dusty hanging in Florida a few years ago or some shit? Yeah, but he accepted him back. So I'm like, that's why I'm like, what? I don't think that's what's going on here. I, I just, I don't know, bro. I just like trying to figure out what the hell they're doing. I don't know. I, mean, I, I was going to play it because it's like 40 seconds long and that's it, but... Kendall Wyndham just looks goofy at this stage of the game, and yeah, I don't know. I, he looks I feel like bad. some fucking kid. Yeah, he does. He, lo- he just, looks like fucking Sam Houston. He looks like Sam Houston with a Brillo pad stapled to his head. I just feel bad for Barry. It's like, what, what's going on? Let me let me play. It's real quick. Here it is. It's for the U.S. Tag Team Title. Barry Kendall, good to see. You. I know it's a big moment for you. Antonio Davis is something we're very very excited about. You know, in the past, I've had tag team partners that I've held the United States Tag Team Championship with, but. We've got a chance right here, and I've never had a chance like this to go for a championship with my younger brother, Kendall. We're going to go for it right here, and I tell you, something might just happen, and those tag team championships might just change hands right here on, right here at Atlanta. It'll be a big match, Kendall, I know that. Looking forward to it. He's ready. He's been telling me all week he's ready. Kendall Wyndham and Barry Wyndham after the U.S. tag team title, and that is here today on our program. Let's go to the ring. 
like I said, nothing much there. It's just a whole deal with those two tagging. It's like, man, what, what are we doing with Barry here? If you're it's if you're gonna counterfeit money, you might as well make them hundreds. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's nice. That's nice. <laughs> I tell you what, man, you can really tell how tall both of them are when they walk in, though. That's two yeah, tall big, bastards. Those man. are some big bastards right there. <laughs> Where'd you get that one from, Doc? I don't know, man. Roll Tide. <laughs> Bruce Pritchard. <laughs> he was a I big old like, bastard. I do like when Bruce says that. That's a big bastard. It's just like a, it's like a catchphrase. Then the bell Nik- rang. And then the bell rang. Nikita takes on Alan Martin in the first match. Obviously, Nikita wins. I mean, there's there's not much to it other than Nikita wins. Uh, Doc, do you have anything from that before we go to uh, Shatoata? Oh, God. Please, no. No, you don't want to listen to it? No. <laughs> it's awesome. Shatoata, Tony, how you say? Good old how you say? Okay. <laughs> go, ahead, go ahead, Hopper. How's it? I did, uh, uh, fuck. I'm trying to think. How you say? How you say? Champion? I, I don't know. <laughs> how you say? Four horsemen on run. Tony Shavati. <laughs> how you say? Shadota. What the fuck? And we were stupid. We thought this motherfucker was Russian, dude. Yeah, no, huh? I thought Rob Halford. I, at the same time, I thought Rob Halford from Judas Priest was straight. So don't don't look at me for anything. Yeah, I'm not at that age. Like like people back in Minnesota must be watching this. Like back then, like well, fuck's he what? That's Scott Why is he Simpson. acting like this. Yeah, <laughs> that's, he, that's the, they were telling yeah. him. Nah, he defe- he's defected. He's one of them Russians now. <laughs> No, but Harper's got a point. There's people in, in Minnesota that had to be looking at him going. Well, there were people the that fuck? knew that the Sheik was right. Well, yeah, that's the beauty of it all. Like all you got, there were obviously people who knew these people and knew these talents from you know before they were these characters. And but it's just like funny, like thinking about it because there was no platform back then, so you couldn't say all this shit on Twitter or Facebook, and you couldn't expose things, but... What about people back just Raphael? What about it? I mean... Well, that, I that was a show where you could do something like that. Donahue. But she had okay. Rick on there. I remember, yeah. I remember seeing that in his he 30 probably, for 30. He probably banged her. Wow. They didn't I expose know. it, though, to that point. At that point, though, it wasn't like they were on there talking about, oh, yeah, he's from Minnesota, or this is from here. But Harper's got a point. Like, if you're in Minnesota, you're like, what the hell is this idiot talking about? You're like, dude, I went to high school with him. Right. <laughs> but we're watching it going, oh, man, that motherfucker's Russian, man. Shatota! How you say four horsemen on run? Okay. Um, Lex Luger takes on Keith Styborn next. Lex is out there with a robe on in his U.S. title. Doc, anything from that match? No. I didn't think so. Uh, Harper, what about you? Anything from it? No. All right. Uh, so let's go to JJ and Lex after the match. Here it is. Well, we are back at ringside. The man who just had his, I guess it was a light workout, the U.S. champion Lex Luger and the leader of the four horsemen, JJ Dillon. You know, we've got a real controversy, for lack of a better word, because I'm besieged with questions about this Weaver lock. Now, I'm certainly familiar with this name from the past because every now and then as I look back through my my file of videotapes and films, I I look at a a Johnny Weaver in his heyday, and he was impressive, really the only man that ever really mastered the sleeper hole. The question is, has he taught 
the sleeper hold or the weaver lock as they're now calling it to the American Dream Dusty Rhodes. I don't think he has. To me, it's a now now blatant chokehold. But I'm going to ask you a question. Let's for a minute assume that the Weaver Lock is a legitimate sleeper hold. Can you explain to me how a 300-pound master of the sleeper hold can apply it when he's six foot plus inches in the air across the human torture rack? I'm talking about the backbreaker of the total package, Lex Luger. I guess they, no one could do that. You know, before we talk about backbreakers, start snoring, Doc. Locks, my compliments once again to the producer Tommy Evans for such a contrast. First out comes a Russian with a bald head who talks like he's always got strep throat. And an ex-champion at that, an ex-US heavyweight champion. Then out comes the consummate modern-day athlete. The total package, Lex Luger, articulate, good-looking, the best body in professional sports. Thank you, Tommy Evans, for that contrast for all those people at home. You know, when you're talking about wrestling, you're talking about the NWA, where the best competition there is is to be found, and that's why I'm here, because I write my own ticket professional sports, and that's why I came here, and that's why. When you talk about the athletes of athletes, you're talking about the four horsemen, and you're talking about Lex Luger, the NWA, U.S. heavyweight champion. And we talk about a Weaver Lock. I don't know much about Johnny Weaver. They said he was good in his time. I've seen him on videotape. He was a decent wrestler. But Dusty Rhodes, three-time world heavyweight champion, the man who's done it all. You've had your time as well. Time to step aside for the modern-day athlete, the man who's going to do it all, the future of professional wrestling. You see, you say you're the legend, and I have to beat you. But I'm the bottom line, I am, I am the USA World Champion, and I know for a fact that's something you want very, very badly. The U.S. Champion Lex Luger, let's go back to the ring. Doc, are you awake? I know Lex isn't your favorite person. Hmm. What? 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 <laughs> Are you okay? You You up there? You all right? You I, surviving? I dozed, well, I had some extra strong dog earlier, and uh, I kind of zoned out there for a minute. Did I miss something? Um. Okay. So, you got anything from Luger and JJ right Why there? Why did they let him go out there and go on that long? You don't notice it when you're young, but you notice it when you're old. Yeah. No. Bruh. And and here's the thing. I think if it had been half that long, it'd have been it'd have been twice that twice as good. I think so too, because I thought JJ kind of opened it up fine with talking, telling a little story there about the Weaver Lock and all that. And then Lex comes yeah. in and he said, he said, you know, Nikita sounds like he's out here somebody with strep throat. And I was like, well, he's got a point. But I agree. It, just, it went on for two more minutes after that, and I was like, what are we doing here? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Hopper, what about you? I felt like. Someone put me in a fucking Weber lock. (laughs) 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 Uh, Okay. (laughs) Tully Blanchard takes on Ed Franks next. Tully defeats Ed Franks. Then we got Arn Anderson who takes on Mike Jackson. And let me tell you, they went seven minutes before Arn hit him with the spine buster. Uh, Not a a quick match at all before Arn finally wraps that thing up. Let me jump in here. Harper, how much money, since you don't like to pay for kid shit, how much money would you pay for that jacket Arn was wearing? That Oh, my God, that Four Horsemen jacket? Yeah. Man. 
that shit was. I mean, the color it, looked fucking like like from Miami Vice with that fucking aqua like, blue. It, tell you what it was. It was Houston Oiler blue, wasn't it? It, it was sure something was. like that. Yeah, it was that like aqua blue. But yeah, that jacket was badass. Okay, I'm pulling it up. And was, I'm looking at. I it right thought now. it was a good match, man, because Arn Arn's gonna tell you why it took so long in his promo. Yeah. Don't you oh, love it's it? Mike, when it's put Mike him Jackson. over. Yeah. Oh yeah. So so two things. One, Hubbard, that I, I was gonna ask you about the jacket later. Um, I think JJ's holding it up, or somebody's holding it yeah. up in the promo show yeah. that we're about to uh, pay attention to. And the other thing I was gonna say is, you know, Mike Jackson, he might not have like had the star power look. He never disappoints when he's. I mean, he usually he's he's out there working he's his a, ass off. He's a credible enhancement talent. He would be a good teacher for out of school. Maybe just, he could work with Buddy Lee Parker down at the uh, what is it the, the power Nitro plant. Center Power Plant. Power, that's it. Power oh plant. yeah. What did you call it? The Nitro Center. Yeah, I don't remember, man. I had, I, had some, I, had, I had some nasty eggnog earlier, man. I'm kind of fucked up. <laughs> the Nitro Center. All right. Okay, so speaking of the promo that Arn's about to cut, let's go now to it. Tully and Arn, JJ, and even Rick at the end. Here it is. The Four Horsemen in this combination of Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard. Two great wins right here on television on the Super Center. You know, Tony Schiavone, I was out there mopping the mat with that newcomer that wants to make himself something professional wrestling. All these people over here screaming, where's your belt? Nikita does it better. Well, I guess he does, you know. Nikita Koloff, Barry Windham slips him a foreign object bowl, knocks me out first time in my life. He does it better than I do. He cheats better than I do. But, you know, I'm not going to stand up here like everybody else and talk about spilt milk. Nikita Koloff, you're one up on me. That's all I'm going to say about it. But, you know, when you talk about being one up on Kelly Blanchard or any one of the four horsemen, you go ask uh, the other half of the superpowers, Dusty Rhodes, what it's like to be one up on Tully Blanchard. And how long did he actually stay one up before I got even? Nikita Koloff, you think I'm going to take this laying down, and I'm not going to have my championship back. My friend, you are sadly mistaken. A word of advice, go to bed, sleep with it at night. Hold on to it real tight, because Nikita Koloff, it's not going to be around your waist very, very long because I am destined to go down in the record books as the greatest world television champion of all time. And with this man right here, who you saw take a great grappler, Mike Jackson, and give him that big belly-to-belly -belly smash. One, two, three on national television. He and I are going to be, because we say so, the world's tag team champion. You ever heard of a warm-up? You ever heard of sparring? Sparring's not going for the knockout right away. Mike Jackson, what I did with you was have a warm-up. You see, you're the same size, the same speed, same thinking as the Rock and Roll Express. Duck this, over this, under this. You're elusive, you're quick. So what I did was set my mind thinking of Gibson Morton, and I took my spot out on you. Rock and Roll, there's not a man on God's green earth that knows more about wrestling, tag team style, than an Anderson. Check the record books. Seven long years Anderson's held the world tag team titles. A rock and roll in a cage, whether it's Greensboro or wherever. Remember one thing. The tag team wrestling scene will be part of the four horsemen's reign. And I said it because I'm a horseman. Oh my God, yes. 
stack it up. Yeah. The consummate wrestling act on the continent today. There they are, the four horsemen. Thank you. There they are, the four horsemen. We'll be back right after this. All right, Doc. Throw two first. What you got? I really like Tully saying, oh, okay, he cheats better than I do. That's pretty funny. And he was good. Sleep with it at night, you know, because I'm destined and all that shit. But then Arn jumped out there and was just leaning forward, trying to get into your TV and your living room. Man, that was intensity. He's just out here. He's just out here messing with fools just to get ready to get some gold. Yeah, he's telling the truth. Um, Hopper, what'd you have? Yeah, that shit was great, man. Fucking Arn Anderson. He was a sparring <laughs> partner. That's all that shit was. And then and he why? Starts... Because he's about the same size as him. And then you look at it, it's like, well, he is right. Yep. Yeah. And then he starts talking about the Andersons being, you know, tag champs mm-hmm. for for as many years as they were in. You know, I, I don't have it in front of me, the record books and whatnot, but, I mean, show me the lie. Yeah. <laughs> show me and the lie. Ma- and he's mad about it. Yeah, he's pissed off about it. So. And he was leaning forward and hot. Yeah, so good stuff from Tully and Arn right there, as usual, JJ, and then Rick coming in, and we're going to hear from Rick again later. So right now, we're going to go to Dusty Rhodes, who uh, he's got something to say, and I'll try to, we'll come back, it's a two-parter, so here's the first part, let's uh, let's hear from uh, Dusty. Okay, fans, back with you once again on World Championship Wrestling, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, and early in the program, JJ said, you know, you can't put the sleeper on anybody, the weaver lock on anybody when you're up in the backbreaker, but you can't get you up in the backbreaker if he's asleep either. You know, you would think that I was the first wrestler in the history of the world and the universe to learn a new hole. When Dusty Rhodes goes to the bathroom, everybody talk about it. When Dusty Jesus. Rhodes get a new car, everybody wants one. When I get a new house, everybody wants one. When I get a lot of money, everybody wants one. When I go for a title, everybody talks about it. The Weaver Luck, legitimate sleeper, gonna put your lights out. Lex Luger, I got more to say to you on that subject, but come over here with me, Tony. We're going to walk over here to the vast television land in this monitor and take a look, take one simple look at a man that tried to put his nose in my business and what happened to him right here. All right, so real quick, um, Hopper, do you have anything from the promo he just cut or the match they throw it to where T. Joe Khan is wrestling? Who we? I don't yeah, think man. I was lot. like, oh, look, he's getting TV time. Yeah. Why does that? Why does that motherfucker speak English? Right, and he sounds like he's some guy from you know, fucking Milwaukee or something. Right. <laughs> he hold on. Let me let me let's let's get a little audio from him. It's just like some interview time. Jesus. He sounds like what I he sounds like what I think Bruiser Bedlam ought to sound like. <laughs> yeah. Which scam, Bruiser scam. doesn't. <laughs> Take a hike, Rhodes. I want some TV time. Yeah, I don't think wow. so. Okay. So he's from the Orient, right? Or where? Where is he Shut supposed up. to be from? <laughs> he's from Oshkosh, Singapore. Singapore, that's right. He's supposed to be from Singapore. <laughs> Take a hike, Rhodes. 
I want Take some TV time. time. Okay. <laughs> All right. So long story short, uh, Dusty says, nah, bro, and puts him in a Weaver lock as Johnny Weaver looks on and whatnot. Uh, Doc, anything else from you on the first part of that and then Dusty putting him in the Weaver lock? I really like that line where he said, man, the people acting like I'm the first person to learn a new hold. I like that line. That was good. Well, it's because it's true. And, um, man, when he walked over and those four Dusties were all in the same screen, man, I got wigged out, man. That shit was like a acid flashback or some shit. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. When, it, when it's picture and picture and picture and picture. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, whoa, whoa, what's going on? Um, and, man, he's talking about, like, you know, everybody, uh, I go to the bathroom, people are talking about it. I can't just imagine that some big old fucking football sized turd coming out of bus Dusty's behind. <laughs> hey baby, come look at this. <laughs> All right, let's play the second part of it. Uh here it is with Dusty and Tony. They go back to the studio. It's very obvious it's a very, very dangerous hole. Well Johnny Weaver tells me it's a dangerous hole. I ain't had it put on me yet. See, I ain't been to sleep. Throughout this country right now, the wrestling network, WTBS, NWA Pro Worldwide Wrestling, the UWF, Jim Crockett Promotion is spreading the greatest array of talent, the greatest wrestling people in the world right now, doing it to it. And Lex Luger, I got something for you now. I'm going to start dogging you. You understand what I'm saying? I'm going to start dogging you now because... I got a real close look at Lex Luger. He is the total package. He is the greatest physical specimen I ever been in the ring with. Far none. Far none. But let me tell you something. Now then, as I looked at his face, and I looked at his face, I said, there ain't a scar on his body. I said, he's a pretty boy. You know what I mean? He's so pretty. He's photogenic. He can go out with nice clothes, look so pretty on television. I come out here with his old broken nose, this old eyes shut, this old ear cauliflower, half my teeth not straight. And I thought to myself, now that I'm going to be dogging you, I'm going to bust you open. I'm going to scar you up. I'm going to close your eyes. I'm going to bust your nose. I'm going to bust your leg. I'm going to scar you up, baby. You ain't going to be pretty no more. And yes, I do want the U.S. heavyweight title. But yes, my main man, Nikita Koloff, says it well. You got to beat me. I am the legend. There is no other walking around being cool legend in the world today. But the- Dusty Rhodes, the American dream, and we'll be right back. Harper, what you got, man? You know what I also liked about with the whole that little uh, clip that we saw? Was that we finally got a face on the fucking Weaver lock to know who this guy is? It's Johnny Weaver. You didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, but I mean, no. What I'm saying is, if you're some kid sitting at home, surrounded by fucking Hot Wheels and GI Joe men, you don't know who this fucking guy is. But you know what, Doc? That is kind of true because he was before our time. Right. Exactly. I mean, he wouldn't. Maybe if like we got Mid Atlantic, but I'm talking like. We didn't. We only kind of knew who he was from being an announcer, like at Starcade and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like other than that, or or occasional NWA Pro clip. But 
we we that's true. We really didn't know who he was. I mean, look, you could knock us for not knowing who he was, but we we didn't see Johnny Weaver in his prime. We don't we don't know. It's just the era we grew up in. So I yeah, that's kind of true. But yeah, uh, Doc, th- what did you hit? Oh, go ahead, keep going. And the whole thing about waking the guy up after the sleeper hold, I don't remember that. Oh, I do. Back I do. Class, I do that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember that shit. Like, you I don't remember, remember fucking, that? Uh, never, I, I can't remember seeing Ted DiBiase waking people up. He just stuffed money down their fucking mouths. That's in <laughs> WWF, man. That don't count. <laughs> that ain't wrestling. That's sports entertainment. But I could swear in WWF at certain points when people would get put to sleep that they would wake them up. Like, I, you, know what I you, you know, the more that I think about it, every person that did the sleeper hold there did something afterwards to him. Brutus BK yeah. cut their hair. He stuffed money down their throat. Yeah. Cartoon yeah. wrestling, pal. Mm. Uh, Doc, what'd you have? Is that a is that a baby face promo? Dusty? Yeah. I don't I don't know, man. I mean, at least he didn't address the audience this time. Okay. Dude, when he went to go walk by the fucking camera. I was like, oh, here he goes. He's got to <laughs> fuck with these people some more. <laughs> Dusty's, on a, Dusty's on another walkabout. And Dude. I think, I think uh, Nikita addressed him during his promo, didn't he? He did. He said something. I can't remember what like it was. Like stupid Americans or something like that. Yeah. he's. I'm telling you, man. You, you, you got to no-sell him. What do we mm-hmm. know? We're just some three outlaw mud show. <laughs> Uh, yeah. People doing a podcast, but you got you got to avoid just no sell it, just no sell it. Now he didn't. I I thought that at first when he st- when he went to start walking around, I was like, oh, here it comes, because I didn't remember this episode specifically. I was like, oh, okay, he's going to the, going to the TV. All right, Doc. Anything else uh, from you here? No. All right, Ronnie Garvin uh, tells us to throw away the limo. He's going to drive an old pickup truck. And he hoped they gave uh, Terry Jones his last rights uh, in that match that um, that he's going to have with uh, Terry Jones. So um, I I don't know, Doc. You got you got anything? I I thought I, Ronnie I, was decent there. Okay, um, I thought it was a good promo. I did. I was quoting it, but I was going to ask if y'all wanted to to hear it. Nah, I need to hear it. I just think it was good. Yeah, he he defeats Terry Jones and. But I, I just like what he said when um He's ready to get know. some gold, pal. Yeah, I like when he says, I'm real. I'm not I'm not the fucking Terminator or fucking a Robocop motherfucker. I'm real. Well and see that's the thing. So like and he makes the reference to being, you know, he yeah, I drive an old pickup truck and I'm a I'm a real guy. I'm a wrestler. And and mm-hmm. I think what he says is perfect because it tees up Rick's promo in a minute. Yes. So like it they, it, it was his promo ain't great, but Rick, the fact that he addresses it, tells you that it w- it was damn good. So th- that was kind of my thoughts on it. Um, from there, they go to a match from NWA Pro, and it is it's basically the end of Ronnie Garvin and Arn Anderson, and Ron Garvin puts Arn in a figure four. Dusty stops JJ from getting involved, but Flair gets in the ring and drops a big elbow on Garvin. Uh, the rest of the horsemen come out, though. Luger puts Dusty in the torture rack. It's a chaotic scene that, you know, like JR would say, that once again, the fans are loving it and they are into it. Uh, I mean, I'm trying to pull it up for the Patreon members so they can see it. 
Dude, these fans, when this shit's going down and he's putting Arn in that figure four and JJ tries to get involved but Dusty stops it, if you just watch the reaction, when they pe- when people say, why y'all talk about it like it's real? Fuck, just watch this stuff. That's why. Um, they're coming off. They're, they're just they're, they're, they're losing their minds. But, Doc, what did you have from this? Man, the torture rack is trash, but yeah, it was it a visual for to see Dusty go up in it. I mean, we ain't seen anybody really of any that kind of size or that kind of like stature go up in that torture rack. So the, I mean that 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 meant a little something, even if the move is you know kind of funny. And it and when it gets up there, someone's I think it's Tully kind of starts giving uh, Dusty some strikes to the back. I like that. Yeah, and well, and my other note was the horsemen, domi- the horsemen, you know, they needed to dominate. They needed to get their heat back. They've lost yep. some belts, you know, so they got to they gotta flip it back to their side. I, I agree with you, Doc. I'm looking at it right now on the video. Um, Dusty in the torture rack is not like an average size enhancement talent. It ain't like Keith rack. Steinborn going up in that thumb buck. Yeah, because you know people watching were probably like, you think he can get big old Dusty up there? Because all the guys you see them do it to are like, you know, 250 pounds or whatever. And then you think, man, I don't think he can get Dusty up there. He just proved to you that, that you know, he can. Now with, what? What can Dusty do with that? Yeah. You can't do that fucking sleeper hold when you're six feet up in the air in a torture rack, you fat asshole. <laughs> Something like that. Why are you talking about it like it's real? <laughs> uh, but when the baby face finally come in to help out Dusty and Garvin, who are getting it put to them, and, and, and Dusty sold that torture rack because he's like laid out on the mat all crooked. Uh, the baby face, when they finally hit the ring to make the save, just watch the fans. Just just watch them. They go oh, nuts. just, just. They're, they're happy with what they're seeing. I was waiting to see them hit the ring. Why can't we have this anymore? Why do we sit in our homes? I told you this today. Cable news is the wrestling of today. Oh, sure is. No matter if you're watching CNN, Fox, whatever, it's it's the wrestling of today. And you, oh, everybody oh, just sits in there. Everybody, yeah, of course. There's people <laughs> cutting promos twenty four seven. They ain't even <laughs> any matches. It's just <laughs> promo. <laughs> Which, which Doc, remember, it goes back to what you said when we first started doing Saturday Night. You were like, I don't know if we like the wrestling as much as we just like the shit talking. Well, you know, so, I mean, now people just sit in their homes and watch that shit and get all riled up and go to social media instead of heading down to the damn Civic Center, having a few beers, maybe trying to drag out a Wanda and fucking yelling at the matches, man. And, and I don't know. I just think it's better when, when that's going on. Yeah, you ain't going to hear no argument from me, man. Politics is the new wrestling. That's for damn sure. Um, all right, so let's keep it moving. We got Ric Flair. Rick's about to spit some spit some knowledge at us. Here it is. He's out there with Tony Schiavone, and they're in the studio. Pandemonium in the ring, and obviously the heat is on. Here's the world champion, Ric Flair. The heat is on, you know. I got to have David Crockett over here for this because David Crockett, the illustrious announcer and vice president Jim Crockett Promotions always likes to tell the wrestling public something special when Ric Flair gets knocked down or Luger gets put to sleep or Arn and Tully trip over their feet by accident. Come on, David! Explain what just happened! 
on national TV to the legend Dusty Rhodes and to Hands of Stone, Ronnie Garvin. What just happened? They got the holy you-know-what beat out of them nationwide. And I don't mind telling you, I was wearing these $600 custom-made lizard shoes and this $13,000 Rolex when it happened. That's why I'm Ric Flair. That's why Luger's the U.S. champion. And that's why Arne and Tully are going to be the world tag team champions. Now, Tony Schiavone, let's be hypothetical for a minute. Let's pretend that the great American dream, anything could happen. What would happen if Ronnie Garvin became the world champion? What would you do, Garvin? Be on the cover of field street? Huh, Garvin? Would you ride down the road with that golden retriever? You call a woman and talk to her? Huh? Would you go fishing? Would you sit in the corner bar with all the other rednecks drinking beer, talking about being the champ? Come on, pal. Dreams are meant to be exactly what they are. A dream reality is custom-made clothes, limousines, beautiful women, long blonde hair, styling and profiling, Rolex watches, yes, and any woman the four horsemen want just like that. You see, Garvin, you're living a dream, and I'm happy for you. God bless you. Everybody needs to have something to live for each day. But you, in reality, are never, ever going to be able to say you are the world champion. You're never ever going to be able to say you beat Slick Rick. You're never going to be able to put this in your old pickup truck next to your blue jeans and your cowboy boots and your cut-off t-shirt and try to tell anybody, much less yourself, that you're the world champion. You see, Ronnie Garvin, you gotta be born a champion. You gotta have it inside. You gotta feel it, live it, breathe, and be prepared to die for it. You gotta make the assault on life itself. That's why some people think I've lost it. I haven't. What I've done is I've had it all. It's been mine. It's been mine. It'll be mine my entire life. Woo! The world champion, Ric Flair. We'll be right back. The face he makes when he hits that woo, he looks like he's a fucking nutcase, bro. <laughs> Go ahead, Doc. Well, I was all ready to give Arn the Rolex after his performance until Rick called Ronnie Garvin's old lady a golden retriever. <laughs> Come was, on, pal. That, Dude, that, that was dirty. that was some top shelf action out of Rick. Cause he came out and said they busted up Dusty. And then he ripped off his lizards 
He pointed to his Rolex. He did some nature-nomics for you. And then sl- and then segued into, hey, man, everybody's got to have a dream. But that's just what it is, man. He, That was fan-fucking-tastic. Um, Hopper, and, and then he went insane. Yeah. Yeah, then, then he went crazy. Hopper, what did you have from it? And when he says, you have to make an assault on life itself. Jesus Christ. How fucking great was that? I never heard that before. No, me either. And it's the thing is, he probably just made that shit up two seconds before he said it. He made it up right then and there when you mm-hmm. were watching it. Yeah. You have to make an assault on life itself. Man, can't, man, couldn't, is. man couldn't balance his checkbook if you gave him four hours, but he came up with a great line on the spot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um... Did y'all catch? Okay, so we we all caught the line. Would you ride up and down the street in your pickup with that golden retriever you call a woman after you win the title? <laughs> that shit was we all, funny. We all caught that. That that was that was phenomenal. But there was one right before that where he talked about uh, going to sip beer at the bar with his uh, issue Red of neck. field and stream with the yeah. issue yeah. of field. <laughs> so, so, like, I mean, I'm guessing most people out there know what field and stream is, but in this I audience, just, yes. Yeah, yeah. They probably got the bumper sticker on their cars. <laughs> but when he said that, like I, I gotta point it out because to me that resonates so well with the with the Southern wrestling audience. Like, of course, that He's, was such a uh, you know to that's an insult for Rick to say that. But at the end of the day, they look at their baby face and go, "Shit, don't you? Why are you making fun of you know?" What you doing, yeah. making fun of Field and Stream, boy? I mean, now, the, dad, problem with, the problem with that is, is that Rick's not a heel here. My dad used to get those mailed to the house when I was a kid. Why does that not surprise me? <laughs> but that was that was a good promo. Uh, let's just put Rick in the running for the Rolex right now. Um, we can leave it at that. Uh, Hopper, anything else from Rick right there? It's just perfect. Yeah, real good stuff. And, and hey, here's the thing: there's still two and a half months before Starcade, just so you know. So we got a long way to go with you know some promos and seeing them two do battle. Um, Doc, anything else from you before we go to the Midnight versus Kendall and Barry? That's some fantastic stuff, and it's it's what we've been missing the last few weeks is that four horsemen promo presence. Yeah, one hundred percent, absolutely agree. So, all right. Um, we go now to the next match, which is Midnight Express versus Kendall and Barry Windham. Now, towards the end, as this thing is starting to you know wrap up, Cornette catches, I think, Kendall with the racket on the outside, which Nikita then comes out to stop Kendall from being assaulted and attacked. But Nikita gets into the ring, and then Nikita ends up fighting the Midnights. Teddy Long calls for the bell since Nikita is in there, and it's a DQ. Uh, lots of shenanigans. I mean... You know, sometimes we get a clean finish on these things, but, you know, then again, oftentimes we don't. So, uh, Doc, I guess I'll throw it to you first. What did you have from this? These assholes were fighting in the wrong corners. Assholes? Wow, that's a strong word. I mean, you're calling it. It threw me off, assholes. and I don't appreciate that. I like routine. And um, wow. I thought Teddy Long went a long time before he called that DQ. Well, he didn't call it until Nikita officially hit someone. That's what he was waiting for. Why is he just standing in the ring? Yeah, but he he didn't officially. 
attack anyone yet. Okay. And that's when they ring, and that's when you're supposed to ring the bell. Do that and, at the next show. Just get in the ring and stand there. And <laughs> to be honest, though, it was Bobby Eaton who first went after Nikita when he got in the ring. Yeah, so, but the thing is, the, Nikita didn't assault him yet. I know. I'm just saying, they kind of they kind of fly by their own rules on these things. And, and really I've always it. wondered, dude, wouldn't you be pissed? I'd be like, bro, you just cost, cost us a chance for yes. the fucking belts being yes. a fucking asshole. Yes. I mean, I say, you fucking yes. dick. The Von Erics did that shit at, God, what show was it? I think it was in July or June of 1983. Freaking Kevin Von Erich is wrestling Harley Race. Is it Harley? Yeah, I think it was Harley Race for the um, world title in June 83 at Reunion Arena. And David, Kevin's getting, now Kevin's selling the piss out of his shoulder. His, his shoulder is like injured in a match. And he's selling it and selling it and selling it. And Harley's just on the attack. He's just, he's just on him. David comes in, causes a DQ. So Kevin never loses though. And I'm thinking to myself, Man, that shit made sense when I was freaking seven or eight. But right now, you just caused your brother the freaking world title. He wasn't giving up. He hadn't been pinned. He's battling Harley Race, who is a generational champion. Like, it's not that this is the same thing, but I'm to the example you're giving, Hopper, it, uh, yes. I like, you just cost, you cost him a championship. What are you doing, pal? I mean, that's how, that's a good way to, to cause, like, a heel turn. I would think so, because you can lean yeah. into that. and mm-hmm. You fucked me over. Yeah, yeah. Doc, do you remember that with Harley and Kevin and David at all? Yes. <laughs> Tell me that's not dumb, though. Well. Yeah, well, <laughs> you don't want to admit it because it's world class. He doesn't want to That's not it. true, man. World class has some holes in it. Some? What? You're the one they doing have... the show every week. Quit it. Quit it if you don't like it. They got so many holes. Here's another one. That same fucking show, Bruiser Brody returns. I think he came back like the week or two before. But Bruiser Brody and, and um, Kerry Von Erich uh, fight the Freebirds for the American Tag Team titles. Bruiser Brody and Kerry Von Erich win the titles. You never see him defend the titles ever again. And then like three months later, the, uh, the Super D's, Destroyer 1 and 2, Show up with the American titles. Dude, they won that up in Lawton at a house show on a Tuesday night. Come on. And nothing's ever said about it. The Those it, titles were so up. prestigious, they never showed them on TV, except for when Bruiser and Kerry won them. Well, they struggled with that whole thing of having secondary titles with a roster that was so small. They struggled with main titles. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. I don't know. You're the only title holder here. You were a brass nuts <laughs> champion, pal. Ah, uh, no, 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 no. Let's not talk about me. All right, let's let's keep going. Any other thoughts on the match, and then we'll go to corny. No. All right, go let's to go corny. to corny. Let's go to corny now with the midnight after the match. Shit, what the hell does that 
mean Tony? I don't know. <laughs> Sounds like friends to me. But I'll tell you something, Nikita. Any one of my men, whether it be beautiful body or sweet stand, can take that belt off of you. And if you ain't careful, that's exactly what we're going to do. The superpowers, forget it. They ain't no U.S. Tag Team Champions. And Nikita, when we get finished with you, you're on my mama's bad list as well as mine and that of the Midnight Express. When we get finished with you, you ain't going to have no belt around your waist except the one that's holding your pants up, brother. Beautiful Bobby or Sweet Stan makes no difference. They can take that, that title away from you. And believe me, that's exactly what we're going to do, Nikita Koloff. And we'll see you next week on World Championship Wrestling. Well, Corny ain't running the Rolex, but I give him a... A freaking tip of the hat for mocking Nikita with that Shatoata uh, bullshit. <laughs> and uh, you don't know a wrist lock from a wrist, wrist watch. Um, so with that said, I guess we should rate this thing. I'll go first. Um, well, no, no, no. Uh, Doc, any thoughts from the promo? Let me ask you that first. Shatoata. Yeah. Okay. Sounds like friend right. to me. <laughs> well, I really enjoyed Sounds this Sounds like episode. Muslim to me, man. Sounds I like really ISIS terrorists. One of the okay. Arabs. Okay. They don't like Christmas either. That's why we got to say Happy Holidays now. Go over fucking Powell. Because of those damned old Muslims come down here. That's why they don't say Christmas no more on, on the TV. It's because of Sharia law. Okay. Because of, because of the Shira law. Shira. Stop. Stop. Shira's got a law now. Stop. We're religious and politics free. Let's keep going. Uh, I'm going to rate first. I'm giving this an A. I really enjoy this. 55 minutes, brother. Yes. Hopper, what are you rating it? 55 minutes alone gets you a B. Just for showing up, you get a B. <laughs> 55 so, minutes of snow on the TV. Yeah. <laughs> but then, but 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 it was also a good episode, too. Yeah, it was. You had Rick. You had all the four horsemen. You had fucking Midnight Express. You had all your main eventers except for... Uh, the road wars. I don't know where the hell they are. Japan. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. So yeah, it gets to A. Doc, what you giving it? Well, remember the girl at work that used to do that? Well, no. Oh, um, I can't be as happy about it as y'all are. Um, first of all, it's still sloppy because we didn't bring in anybody from Florida or UWF to continue those storylines. Um, good to see the stars back though. It makes a big difference when you have the star power, but imagine a couple of those matches replaced with like Terry Taylor or Chris Adams or, um, you know, Bugsy McGraw or something like that. Um, a minus. Hmm. Well, I disagree, but anyway, no hey, next week is that next week is that 80 minutes. Oh, fuck. It's a C. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I think we're all gonna. I think we're all gonna give this Rolex to Rick. So I'll start. I'll oh, see yeah. if Rick gets it. Um, Harper, who's getting it for you? It's got to be Rick. You have to insult life itself to be where he is. Would you ride up and down the street in your pickup with that golden retriever you call a woman? <laughs> and then he made a field and stream reference. I didn't know you were such an animal lover. You should have said that. <laughs> Doc, who are you giving yours to? Dude, he ripped off his $600. Okay, Mike. What's the most you ever paid for a pair of shoes? Oh, probably some... I was a dumbass. Um, Uh-oh. Was. Paid, was. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I probably paid a little over 100 for some. Really? Well, 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 that's not too bad. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, you got to. Yeah. Well, first off, you got to remember. I mean, we we came up in the in that '80s era when like Jordans and Nikes. Never, were, yeah. never had a pair of those. Were it wasn't just Jordans though. I mean, it was just Nikes in general that started mm-hmm. going out, going through the roof. So. Yeah, I uh I was a dumbass and what I mean by that is like I got some money at Christmas time from different family members as gifts and I like had saved my money for my birthday and I literally took every fucking penny I had and bought a pair of shoes like an idiot. What were they? There were some um uh Nike f- flights or Oh, it, I remember them. Yeah. Did somebody take, I, did somebody uh take them off of you with at pistol point. No, but who are you giving you no, but who are you giving your Rolex to? I actually had a friend that had his stole uh, starter stolen in front of me, though. Oh yeah, starter jacket. Um, Shit, I'm pretty sure I saw that. I lived in the damn suburbs by then. That's nice. What do you? Who are you giving your Rolex to? Obviously, Rick, well, I, pay, I I routinely pay about you know one fifty to one seventy five for my uh, oh, for my work my work shoes. No, you don't, uh, Doc. Who are you I, giving the Rolex to? <laughs> Um, oh, I guess it'll be Rick. I gotta stop the I gotta stop the Patreon video, man. That's what I'm trying to get it in, you dumbass. Stop it. All right. Push pause. So, yeah, Push I'm gonna pause. hit pause on it so we can do the rest of the show. But, um, okay. So you're giving it to Rick. Good. Um, let's keep it moving then. Anything else you want to add? No, you gotta hit pause, dude. Okay. All right. So uh, we got a couple of things real quick. So again, uh, we got Bo James coming up, but before we do so, I want to make sure Doc and Hopper have nothing before we go over to Bo. But don't worry. After Bo is done, we Doc and I got something for Hopper, and Hopper has no clue what's coming. Oh. Yeah. Oh, motherfucker. <laughs> Bro, you're gonna like it though. You're gonna enjoy it. It's 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 a, it's a fun surprise. So uh, if you're looking at the timestamp, you'll see the note. Where, or if you're looking at the notes from the show, you'll see what it is. But Hopper has no clue as of this right now what that is. So uh, if you ain't got nothing else, Hopper, hit the tagline. Get us over to Bo James talking about Continental, Ron Wright, and a bunch of other topics. Book it, bitch. All right, everybody, I'm sitting here back. I got a special guest. It's Christmas time. So I figured... Bo and I hadn't talked in a while, actually. It was back in February of this year, of 2018, the last time Bo James was on, King of Kingsport. Bo, I had to bring you back. Um, I wanted to talk to you a little continental, and then I wanted to talk to you about how everything was at work. But other than to say Merry Christmas and welcome back to Booking the Territory, how you been, man? Doing well. If you remember, we did book a date in July, and both of us forgot about it. No, 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 no. I know what happened. So something happened the night we were supposed to record, and then, let's see, something happened that night, and then I think I was actually supposed to get back with you, but my daughter's schedule had been kind of crazy at the time, so I didn't have a chance to to follow up with you. One thing led to another. Football season was upon us. I'm a football junkie, which means a lot of times my Saturdays and Sundays tend to get eaten up between that and children. Uh, my own kids, I mean, and uh, one thing led to another, and we finally, we just didn't have a chance to do it, and then you finally reached out to me and said, hey, I'm going to have some free time coming up in December, and I said, all right, let's make it happen. I'll bring you back. We'll do some continental stuff uh, and, and whatever else we get into, so Bo, you're back, and everything is still a work, including the NFL, including college. Ain't it, Bo? Tell me about the, it. The bowl systems, PGA, the news. <laughs> Major League Baseball, Little League World Series, the Roller Derby, 
the only people stupid enough to tell you that it's a work professional wrestling. <laughs> oh, so, so people, long time listener to the show, and don't worry, Bo and I are going to get into some wrestling stuff shortly because we got some real good continental stuff on deck. But, uh, so Bo and I share this shared philosophy of everything was a work. I'm not sure who who first uh, smartened Bo up to that, but uh, my 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 trainer smartened me up to it many many years ago, and I didn't want to believe it for the longest time. But when you look at it. I just have trouble believing some of the stuff I see in pro sports, college sports, and whatnot. So, Bo, uh, the fans, they, the listeners out there have heard my side of this a million times over. So, I, I'll, you know, I'll hold my thoughts. Why do you think everything, every other sport out there, the news, why do you think everything is a work? Uh, but not, but just, just go, why do you think everything's a work? What, what, what tipped Money. you off to it, I guess? Money's first? involved. There you go. That's the whole deal. If there's money to be made and you have a chance to make millions of dollars, you're not going to leave it up to some idiot on the ball field. <laughs> you're not going to leave it up to chance or random acts or whatever. You're going to make sure somebody's in the bag on your side to make sure it goes the way that you want it to be done. Well... So what you're saying is back when the Seahawks were playing the Patriots and the Seahawks had the ball on the one-yard line and they did not cash it in with a run to Marshawn Lynch, uh, that was a definite work, and the booker had booked the New England Patriots to win in advance. Of course. <laughs> look, look at my beloved Titans, who, who I was a huge Oilers fan before they ever came here. So I, I've followed this franchise my whole life. But look at the game that they played in Houston. The week that they played in Houston, the owner of the Houston Texans died. Derrick Henry barely touched the ball for the Titans. He only didn't even have his first carry until the second half when the game was out of control. And then look, the following week, he goes and sets uh, uh, ties Tony Dorsett and Earl Campbell in one game. They didn't want him running in Houston. They had to have that special moment for the Houston Texans where they went out there and won the game for their dead owner. Makes a feel-good story. And on Thursday night, they showcased them to the world. That's what you're saying. Right. I got, I, got, I, got, I got a better one for you. So as of us recording this on December the 10th, 2018, the last game the Dallas Cowboys lost was to the Tennessee Titans. So, uh, But yet, Dallas has been on a tear since then. Care to explain that one, Bo? Like, uh, are you saying some work's involved there, too? they got to make them human. They're America's <laughs> team, which makes a lot of people hate them. So they gotta, they got to get some sympathy on them. You, got, you, got, you can't just smash over all the time. you got to do a few jobs along the way. <laughs> and now they're right, back in, they're right back in the mix for the playoffs. Hell yeah, you got that right. So are, so are the Titans. The Titans were booked as the spoilers this year. They beat the Cowboys, the Patriots, and the Eagles. Nobody picked them to win any of those games, but they can't. They can't beat Houston or Indianapolis. So let me ask this: Let's look look in advance since we're talking about we're talking about pro football right now. Uh, based on what you know today, and based on what you're seeing, who do the Bookers have winning the Super Bowl? I don't know because huh? because for the first time in a long time, they have you guessing. Patriots did some jobs this year. Yeah, 
It is kind of it is kind of wide open when you think about it. I mean, I yep. know people are, I know I know people in the NFC go, "Oh, well, you know, the Saints and the Rams," but you know, I don't think you can count the Bears and Cowboys out. I really don't, you know, nope. if I'm going to be honest. You, um, you and you have major markets all of a sudden, major teams, major markets all in the hunt. Yeah. Extra was, extra playoff games, extra merchandise, extra everything. I was I was telling Doc, I was telling Doc Bo that, you know, if you look at it on the, the NFC side of things, I know you I know you follow the Titans, but I'm obviously a big NFC Cowboys side. Of things my, Cowboys and Oilers were always my two teams. Earl Campbell, Tony Dorsett was my favorite players as a kid. Oh boy, I remember those days. I wasn't yeah. I wasn't a fan of either, but I remember those days. Those, I mean, those were the only two non wrestlers that hung on my walls when I was a little boy. Yep. I remember those days. Great, great days. So, okay, here's the thing. Tell me if this ain't some, some wrestling book and then we'll get to some continental talk. So the Cowboys beat the Saints, but that game happened in Dallas or in Arlington. Now, also last night, again, we just were recording this the night after the Rams lost to Chicago in, uh, in Chicago. So look at how it all shakes out. Right now, the Rams and Saints are the—I mean, the Saints are the one, and the Rams are the two seed as it stands today. The Bears are the three seed, and the Cowboys are the four seed. The way it shakes out is there's a good possibility both of those teams could play again in the playoffs, and they may play against each other. Now, how? What kind of booking would that? Think about that. The money's always in the rematch, uh, right? They, they already—they already planted the seed last night during the Rams and Bears. Because they said if they meet in the playoffs, they'll have to do it in L.A. Right. In they the said same- this is the only <laughs> cold weather game that they will play. And look at the effect that it has had on them. <laughs> so, so you see how they're booking it already. You could mm-hmm. literally have, not only do you have a rematch, but the original game for both of those games was played, one being in Dallas, one being in Chicago. And it could be where when those te- both teams play each other again, where it ends up being... Uh, Chicago then has LA. to. Tra- well, well, not only that, but Chicago would have to go to L.A. if, if yep. in the playoffs, just based on seeding, and possibly Dallas goes goes to New Orleans. So literally, both uh, again played played in one stadium and then going to the going to the other stadium to play the other. It's just yep. it's all set up for the rematch, is what I told Doc. And, and, uh, and I don't know how many times uh, last night they also said the Super Bowl will go through New Orleans or L.A. There's no way to get there without going through those two cities. They said it a million times, man. I was watching it. Yep. They said it a million times. Yep, they sure did. All right, Bo. Well, let's button up. It's all the we work. We call that think, planting seeds. Planting seeds. It's, yeah. it's, it's good storytelling too. Yeah. All right. So uh, the main reason I wanted to bring Bo is Bo is Bo is an exceptional guest. We've talked Ron right in the past. We've talked a little Continental. We've talked a number of different topics. But um, I was listening to an old Exile on Bad Street where Bo was on, and Bo covered extensively Continental wrestling. Extensively. I mean, they had to do eight to nine hours, maybe more, of Continental over the course of three or four shows. Really, really good stuff on Exile on Bad Street uh, with with Bo and Chris. But they got there was there was a couple of stories that they told where I wanted to bring Bo on booking the territory because I said he's got to tell these stories uh, to the BTT audience and maybe to expand upon them a little. So the first one that came up 
uh, or one of the ones that came up on the Exile was there was something called a mink coat story from Continental Wrestling. And I'm going to turn it over to Bo James now because nobody tells this story like Bo. And this is quintessential uh, to me, 80s wrestling angles at its fine. I don't even call it angle, but yeah, book, I don't know what to call it. It's just quintessential well, 80s wrestling. So they, Bo, did, tell they us. did the first one in the 70s. Okay, so there you in go. South it's all even older than that. And then they they remembered a few years later. Oh yeah, he remember when we did that deal in Knoxville and how well it drew. Now we have a six state territory. We can do it everywhere. So go and ahead and tell everybody what what we're talking about with the mink coat. It was a mink coat tournament. You had a chance to come to the wrestling matches and win a brand new mink coat for your lady or your lady could win one. They were going to give them away in 16 cities, 16 mink coats. Well, there was only one mink coat, but they're going to give them away in 16 cities. And this is how it happened. When you bought your ticket and you went into the arena that night, they had shoe boxes on a table and it had like, Robert Fuller's name, Jimmy Golden's name, Ron Fuller, Wendell Cooley, whoever was in the tournament, Danny Davis. And you wrote your name down and you filled out a little thing they gave you for with your name, address, phone number. So they also could mail you a merchandise catalog. And you stuff it in the box of the guy that you thought was going to win the tournament. And then they brought all the boxes down to ringside and started the matches, and, and like if the first match was the Stomper against Danny Davis, and Danny Davis lost, they came out and took Danny's box away. So anybody that thought Danny was going to win, they were eliminated from winning the Mink Tournament. Mink Coat. So it keeps going until there's the last two, and there's two boxes left. Then the guy wins. Then they reach in, and they randomly pull out a name out of the box, and they announce so-and-so from right here in so-and-so town or nearby town has chosen the winner to be Bob Armstrong, and Bob Armstrong won it. And because Bob won, this lucky lady has won a mink coat. They did this in 16 cities, and they sold out 16 buildings with one coat and a different family member winning in each town. It was one of the Welch clan that they would bring in and say, if they were in Dothan, they would say she was from Dothan. If they were in Montgomery, she was from Montgomery. If she was, you know, it was fixed. And they made a killing off of it. And every night they saw somebody leaving wearing the mink coat and telling people how happy they were. And guess what? We're going to do it here again next year. <laughs> so they had 16 sellouts off of one mink coat every year. So, Bo, I want you to say it again. The person who won the mink coat was a plant. Uh, yeah. It was a member of a the A member Welch of the family, family. <laughs> either an in-law or one of the Welches herself or somebody that the family member knew. It was all family and friends because there were now, so many of them, and, and they had family members in every town that they ran, mostly running the town. So, you know, they couldn't necessarily, they couldn't bring out, a wife or girlfriend, but you know, the wife or girlfriend had a sister or a cousin there in town that could come do it. And, and they now, made, and if you ever noticed, they never showed the winner on TV. They never mentioned who won in what town. They just said some lucky lady won because Bob won the one in Birmingham and 
Robert won the one in Dothan and, and Wendell won the one in Mobile. Because if they would ever show in one town, then you would go, wait a minute, that's the same lady that won it here. Or that's, <laughs> or we know her or whatever. You know, they had different ladies. It wasn't the same one every night, but it wasn't 16 of them. Now, for people going, oh, what's the big deal about a mink coat? You want to, like, tell them uh, how well, much a mink coat They were, like, $15,000 in the 80s. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. yeah, those things weren't cheap, man. If you had one of those, you I don't want to say you were distinguished, but they definitely weren't cheap. They were very expensive. It, it's, it's uh, you know, Dusty, <coughs> Dusty told the story about him and Flair in Vegas where one of them went in and bought a mink coat for their wife so in Vegas, so the other one had to go buy one. I think Flair bought the first one, then Dusty bought the second one. Flair saw the one Dusty bought. He went back in, exchanged that for a better one, plus bought himself one. Then Dusty and Magnum went and bought them. Yeah, it was a sign. It was a, it was a sign of wealth, you know, and, and, and you got some people coming out of the projects and out of the trailer parks and out of the haulers and out of wherever thinking, my God, we're going to win this mink coat. They're not thinking their lady's going to wear it around on the winter. They're thinking we're going to go sell this thing somewhere and make us some money. <laughs> we're, we're going to spend work. $6, go to the wrestling matches. We're going to win us a ten dollars or $15,000 coat. We're going to go down here and sell it for five. And we, our Christmas is made because they always did it in late fall, early winter. Yeah, yeah. Right around the holidays. That's tremendous. Oh, man, the main coat. And they did it in six. So so they did How many years did they do this, Bo? Well, like I said, they did. I, I just came across the first one uh, a few weeks ago doing research. They did one in Knoxville in the 70s. But Knoxville was a small territory, so you couldn't do it here like, uh, like they did in Continental. Because uh, Knoxville was just East Kentucky, East Tennessee, part of Virginia, um, and part of West Virginia. But when they opened up Continental in 85, they ran from the Ohio River to the Gulf of Mexico. So you had all of Alabama, part of Mississippi, East Tennessee, East Kentucky, part of Virginia, part of West Virginia, part of Georgia, and North Florida. So you had part of eight states they were running. So they could do them everywhere. And so they did 86, 87, 88, 89, four years. Wow. Did they use the same mink coat all four I think years? so. Because it looks like, it looks like the same one every year when they bring it out for the ring girl to wear to show it off. <laughs> Nobody tremendous. caught on to that. Ah, territory wrestling, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's, oh man, that's a great one. Okay, so that's the main coaster. I, I've been when the first time I heard this, I just I shook my head. I shook my head and. In utter, I guess, happiness to think, wow, they did that back then. That's that's tremendous. Uh, so I, I okay. saw I saw in Knoxville uh, in '87. I mean, the men would pick like whoever their favorite wrestler was. They just filled out and stuff it in. You know, mostly Bob Armstrong because he was so over, or Brad, or you know, one of the Armstrongs, or say Wendell Cooley, and then Doug come along the next year. But the women were standing there, and you could see it in their mind. They were trying to, what if he has a chain? They they, they were split. Do we go with a bad guy? Do we go with a good guy? You know these bad guys are going to cheat to win this. Because I think the winner, the, mink, the winner was supposed to get five grand for himself, and then a lucky fan won the mink coat. So there was something in it for the wrestler, something in it for the fans. 
So the women would hold up the line at the boxes trying to figure out who should I go for because I want this thing and I want it bad. <laughs> Tremendous. Ah, that's a great one. Good old old school wrestling at its finest. <laughs> All right. So now that we got the main code story, I, I've been wanting to talk to you about this for a while. I think we've talked about this before, but um, everyone is familiar. If you're listening to this show, you're familiar with Dirty White Boy and, and Dr. Tom Pritchard, the hanging angle in Continental. I want you, one thing I did not know, a couple of things until I heard this on Exile was, can you tell the story of the cops getting heat for not stopping this? And then you also elaborated on the original idea of it. It was, uh, it was for who, whose original idea the angle was for, um, like who came up with it and then who eventually okayed it. Cause you went kind of in, in deep detail on that. So I thought that was pretty oh, good because Dr. Tom and white boy came up with it. Right. And they pitched it to Robert Fuller when Robert was booking it at the end of 87 and he said no it's too much it's it's too much it, you know because there you know there's a line to where there's too much violence uh i like the the kevin sullivan um theory of you stretch the guy out and you're about to get him but here comes the cavalry to save the day it's the implied they're going to kill him. And they almost did. But, right. you know, there's somebody was to save it. They give you the visual of the violence. And sometimes you have to go through with the violence. But most of the time, you know, another good one was uh, Barry Windham and Ronnie Garvin when they were doing the deal with the Midnight Express. Right before Cornette burnt Garvin, the week before that, the Midnight had jumped him and they had stretched Garvin out over the apron. And uh, Bobby was holding him by the ears, and uh, or maybe Bubba had him by the ears, and Bobby was laying across his leg. But they had his head out over the the ring apron, and Dennis Condry was on the top rope with a chair, like going to chop his head off. And then here came all the baby faces. It was implied they're getting ready to kill him, but they didn't get to get through with it because here came the cavalry. I yeah. think that was much better if they would have came off with it because short of cutting his head off, it would have exposed it. But Tom and White Boy came up with it. They pitched it to Robert. Robert said it's too much. And then when Eddie came in and took the book, they give it to Eddie, and he said he okayed it, Eddie Gilbert. And so, they did. Yeah. And if, so, if you go and watch it, as Tom is in the noose and White Boy is dragging him through the crowd – Birmingham police officers are all over the building, standing there watching it, not doing anything. <laughs> not doing anything. So, Bo, you now I think I've told you this before. I had no act. I had not seen Continental um, up until a few years ago. So the first, and but now as a kid, I probably don't see. I probably don't. I'm not as observant when I see the officer and thinking to myself, oh, my God, you know, uh, there's an officer basically watching this happen. But as, as an adult, although I loved it, I, I absolutely loved this angle. And I loved it when Jimmy Cornette did it in Smoky Mountain with White Boy and Horner. Yeah. Although I loved it, one of the first things I thought to myself as watching it was, 
Jesus Christ, he's hanging a man. He's a, he, this is attempted murder, and there's mm-hmm. a police officer watching this whole thing. Not one, several. Well, well, you're right. Several. I, when I say a police officer, I'm I'm referencing the one that you can see as White Boy is dragging Tom by his neck and getting ready to string him up. When the when the fans try to stop it, he makes them get right. back. Right. <laughs> get out of the way. He, he was that Birmingham. Yeah. So Birmingham, Birmingham's finest is watching an attempted murder take place. And I did think to myself, he got a copy of watching this. How great is that? But to the, but you made a point on exile and you said the officer or the police department, they got some heat behind this because, because they're sitting there watching, um, you know, a, a, a baby face, a hero get hung. And tried to a man trying to kill him, and they're not doing anything. Yeah, nothing. And you can see people on the on the TV screaming at him, "Stop it!" <laughs> and he shoot hung him because his hands are handcuffed behind him, right? And the rope is around him. And, and Doc's yeah. told me many times. He said that thirty five seconds or a minute that he was hanging there seemed like hours waiting on the P. He, he said he started rethinking the whole deal when they cinched that rope around the top turnbuckle and pulled him up. He, he said it hit him. What did I get myself into? <laughs> what did I sign up for here? Yeah. yeah go go it, back. To- and they had some great violent stuff there. You know, a few weeks after that, white boy hit him in the head with the beer bottle in the parking lot. You know, they, they you know, they, they did some violent stuff. So would you say just looking back at it all these years later that y- you, you think it was too far to hang him like that? You know, I I don't know because yeah. it did give them that spark that they needed, but it also buried the local police officer. And you <laughs> need the local police on your side, especially in the territory days where people came with knives and guns to kill the hills. You know, <laughs> you, you and it just it was a double edged sword. We accomplished this much, but we buried the local police. It's and, incredible uh, when you watch it and you you watch Birmingham's finest just just standing. I'm sorry, I can't hold it in. They're standing there watching this man get hung. Tom had never really thought about it until like four years ago when he was here at the house and we were watching it. And I pointed it out to him. <laughs> and he's like, my God, you're right. They're just standing there watching. They're telling people, get back, let him hang him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Right, like it's it's funny when you look at it all these years later because uh, you're older, you're wiser, and you think to yourself, maybe they should have did it, but maybe they should have involved the police to once they realize what Dirty White Boy is doing, the yeah. police kind of intervene that way. It kind of saves face a little. You still get the effect. You're not going to get Tom hung for thirty, forty <laughs> seconds, but you know what I'm saying. I, I think a lot of it too had to do with the change of ownership. If you go back and listen to the uh, between the sheets that I just did about the the death of Continental, I go over some of that about how they did not have the with the new ownership of David Woods's company, they did not have the relationship with the local police department and the local buildings that they did with Fuller and Ron West and Bob Polk and those people that were in control because Fuller always made sure, like they did an angle 
in 86, I think it was, where the heels, um, they were in a cage and they handcuffed the cage door so you could not get in. And they were beating up one of the babies. They had a police officer come and unlock the, the handcuffs. He came hmm. and saved the day. He got the door open for the baby faces to get in. Yeah. So they went that extra step and that extra step of realism to make sure that the police officer was involved in, you know, people don't put any heat on the cops for just standing there watching it happen. Yeah, 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 yeah. That that makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, because it does. You look at it and, you know, a man's committing, trying to murder someone and the cops yeah, just watching. it's an attempted murder. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Could Good you stuff. imagine somebody doing that now on national TV? Oh, absolutely not, man. I mean, yeah. the uh, the PC police, the outrage police. Uh, are you kidding, Bo? Twitter would explode. <laughs> And if you have the full episode, you know, when they come back from break, they have Gordon Soley apologize for what you just saw. And he says, you know, please, no one ever attempt this at home. This, you, someone can die doing this. You know, it's just, but different time, different place. Oh, you, you yeah, different time, different You couldn't place. dare do, you know, your heel beating up his valet angle or the hanging or the plastic bag that Terry Funk suffocating people with, you know, that kind of stuff you, you could not get away with today. Yeah, I think it's a good point. It's more than just the hanging part that you couldn't get away with. It's the insinuation of of a female being, uh, you know, beaten and bruised and battered. I mean, you could that that wouldn't fly along with then what happened. I mean, I think <laughs> Because I think at one point Tom says something like, um, "I think you need to call a, a rape a rape hotline." Or didn't he say something? About, uh, it wasn't I think he said family crisis. Family. Okay, I thought it was yeah. rape crisis, but I'm, I, I could no, be wrong. I think okay. he said family crisis. You need to. Go. Uh, okay. but, they, but they had did stuff before the hanging, to where white boy would grab Kim and, and yell at her and put his finger right on her nose, and where she would mess up and do something, you know, and and. Uh, they did did it for weeks where he would get on her and Doug Furnace would try to help her. And then finally she uh, sprayed the ink in Doug's eyes because he got involved in their situation, which they police will tell you the most dangerous situation that you ever walk into is domestic violence. Because oh, a lot absolutely. of times the woman will turn on the police officer also. Even though that's her old man beating her up for some reason, she'll be the one go get him out of jail. Yeah, it's yeah. tricky. I mean, if you if you ever watch live PD, which I'm a big fan of, man, I've heard Me those too. guys. I've heard those guys say on there a million times, man. Domestic violence situations are the, are the are some of the toughest calls that they take when that they go to. It's just a it's just a real tricky predicament. Yeah, and, but they they used it, and it was it was effective. People believed it. People oh yeah, believed yeah. Tony was. They believe White Boy was the worst human on earth. Oh. It was incredible. One of the things, the biggest thing that I didn't know, because I, I don't, I didn't know the the time frame of ownership. I mean, I know, you know, Ron sold it and all that good stuff, but I didn't know the time frame of ownership. So one of the, that, when I heard the, the episode, I had no idea that the, that the idea was white boys and Dr. Times. And then I had no idea that, that Fuller actually 
told them, no, 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 that would be going too far. And it was so that they, they kind of, I guess, put it on ice for a little while. And then mm-hmm. when Eddie came in, Eddie was the one who said Eddie Gilbert, that is, he was the one yeah. that said, no, 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 no. Uh, yeah, yeah, let's do it. So that was something new to me. I had no idea that was, that was part of it. And I think it too, it goes through that, uh, Ron and Robert and Jimmy and all the Armstrong all, bullet, you know, all the people that had booked for continental before had also booked in Knoxville and Georgia and Memphis and other places. So they were more experienced at knowing good heat from bad heat. They were more experienced of knowing where that line is not to cross it because somewhere along the line, they've had to have crossed it themselves and realized we went too far. Yeah. Crazy, man. Crazy. All right, Bo. So another interesting nugget that came out of uh, that exile was you told an incredible story about Wendell Cooley having his money withheld from him by the promotion. And can you please tell uh, about tell everyone the story about the the promos that Wendell cut and 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 what happened from him having his money, quote-unquote, withheld by the promotion? Well, it wasn't the promotion. It was Robert Fuller. Robert Fuller. I'm sorry. Thanks yeah. for correcting me. They, they In September of 87, right before they sold the territory, they turned Wendell heel. And you see people all the time saying, oh, it was terrible. It didn't work. Why did they try that? You know, blah, blah, blah people trying to second guess the booking. It was booked and it came out exactly how they booked it. They turned him heel just to make him an even bigger baby face. He was only healed for five or six weeks. And what they did is he uh, was supposed to be the referee for the nightmares, Danny Davis and Ken Wayne against Robert Fuller and Jimmy Golden, losing team has to split up. And they did it in every town that match. They, you know, that was the main event in all their big towns. In some of the towns, Wendell would wrestle early in the card and he would get hurt. So he was unable to come back out and be the partner or be the referee. Then in some of the towns, they just told him not to come and said he had transportation problems. So he wasn't there to be the referee. So the match happens with the regular continental referee in golden fuller win. nightmares have to split. They have to leave. Then they do an interview on the TV after they went to all the towns with it, where Wendell apologizes to Danny. I should have been there. Heard or not heard, I should, you know, he just said, he just kept saying I should have been there. Um, so they have the match in Birmingham for TV where Wendell is Danny's partner. We're going to get even. And then Wendell turns and he joins Robert Fuller, who is creating the new stud stable. And he proclaims himself now to be the Tennessee stud because Ron is off the of TV for a while. And to set up a run with Ron Fuller against as a baby face against his family and Dutch Mantel and Wendell Cooley. So right away they do this big press conference and they all sign contracts and the stud stable. And they're all happy. Then they do the Thunderdomes in October, which was battle Royals with two poles in opposite corners, weapons on top of the poles, 
whoever climbed up and got them could use them. It was like their version of the bunkhouse stampede. Whoever right. won the most of these two would face each other in Knoxville in the King of the Thunderdomes where there was a cage, then four poles, and on top of them were money bags. Three of them had weapons in them. One of them had the money. Whoever got the one with the money was the winner. And it was Doug Furness and uh, Jimmy Golden. Well, Furness gets the the money. He comes down with it. Robert gets in the cage. They beat him up. They take the money. They're leaving with the money. Here comes Ron Fuller. Fuller grabs the money, takes it away from him. Furness gets it, gets out of there. Then they all jump on Ron Fuller. Uh, Wendell Cooley never touches him. He's just standing there watching as Jimmy Golden, Robert Fuller, and Dutch Mantel beat up Ron. Then Doug comes back, runs him off. That's on YouTube. I just put that on YouTube uh, back in October on the 30th anniversary of that. So they do an interview about, we have the money, furnished doesn't, $100,000. And Gordon says, well, if it's 100000 that looks like twenty five dollars apiece. And Wendell says, I haven't seen any of mine. Then the next week, Wendell says, I haven't got any of my money. So they're only four weeks into this thing, and they're already screwing over Wendell. He's turned his back on the wrestlers and on the fans to, for fame and fortune, and he's learned out these people are, are just as bad as I thought, and this it's not greener on the other side. So Wendell disappears for like two weeks. Then he shows back up in, I think, Montgomery, and he goes in the ring, and he's the Continental Champion. Danny Davis is wrestling somebody after Danny wins. Wendell comes in. Wendell lays the belt down and says, here, you take it. You'll be a better champion, a better man than I am. I've made a huge mistake. Then he leaves. Mm. You don't see him again for a couple weeks. Regular TV match in Montgomery, Fuller and Golden against, uh, I think it was two masked guys. I can't remember what they called them. They, they had different names. It was Jack Lord and somebody. I think, I think uh, Lee Peak uh, doing jobs under a hood. Well, they jump him, beat him up, pile drive one. He's on the floor. The other guy's in there by himself. Danny Davis runs out, jumps up on the apron, takes the tag, he comes in, cleans house. They stop Danny. The other masked man, they come out, carry him off. As they're beating on Danny for several minutes, the masked man returns. And then he takes the hot tag, comes in, beats Fuller and Golden half to death. They get a pinfall. The place explodes. He takes the mask off. It's Wendell Cooley. And the place went nuts. The baby faces come out. They're all in the ring. Gordon's trying to make sense of what's going on. Ron Fuller and Doug Furness and, and Tom and everybody's telling Danny, shake his hand. They shake and hug. The place is going crazy. Robert Fuller does an interview in the dressing room, mad, throwing a fit about Cooley. And he says, boy, I own you. So you don't hear anything for a week or two. And then they go. Now we're going into Thanksgiving. They go to Wendell Cooley's house, and there he is with his family in a Christmas tree, no presents under the tree. And he (laughs) explains, the contract that I signed with the stud stable, they get the money and pay me out of it, and they're not paying me a dime because I've breached the contract and went against them. 
<laughs> the only money that I make is my merchandise sales, my pictures and T-shirts. They show his kids. They show the Christmas, how hard it's going to be. Now, Wendell's there when the doors open at the gimmick table and people are lined up handing fives, tens, and twenties to him, buying everything he's got on the table. <laughs> Which the promotion's getting the cut of. Right. They told a beautiful story. They had to turn him heel for six weeks to get it told. And they made unreal money for weeks at the table. Ah, uh, can you imagine it's Christmas time? This poor guy. I haven't seen the promos, but uh, this poor guy is sitting under a tree with his family, and he's he's just talking about you know how he's being screwed out of his money, and the sympathy that's being raised because you know we all have a heart. It's Christmas. We want mm-hmm. kids to have a good Christmas, right? We want we want little ones to enjoy themselves, and and here is where we're at. On Christmas, and and what happens? The people come out, and they are throwing fives and tens and twenties at Wendell to help him out to get those Christmas gifts for his family. That is so great. That's wrestling. Yeah. And the territory had just been sold. Um, it was sold. The agreement was made in September. I think the first payment was made in October, right when they did it. So, you know, and that's, that's Robert Fuller booking just a genius idea of, okay, the houses are down. They're not good. They're not great, but we'll get more money out of the people coming. (laughs) Oh God, that's so good. (laughs) I just like the whole, you know, one of the things that I think there's a problem nowadays is you just don't have that sympathy on the, on the faces like that anymore. And you don't have baby faces they believe in. Yeah, yeah. W- Wendell right. was born and raised inside of the Gulf Coast, Southeastern Continental Territory. He was one of us. He grew up like I did, watching the same people, uh, just like uh, Johnny Rich growing up in Montgomery, just yeah. like the Armstrong boys growing up being at the matches as, as boys seeing it. So they knew what worked. They knew the, the magic of the interview. They knew the magic of, of that baby face that sold and made that big comeback. They knew, yeah. and the people knew them. You know, Continental in Memphis, in Portland, I think, are the only territories that you could have went to and actually met the stars before the matches because they would be out at the merchandise table selling pictures and T-shirts and programs. So yeah. you could watch them on TV. You could cheer for them. You could go to the matches and talk to them. You could touch them. You could shake their hand. You could get your picture made with them. They were more than just a wrestler. They were your hometown sports team. They were your sports heroes. They yeah. were they were your hometown team that you went to see, whether it was Birmingham 52 weeks a year, whether it was Knoxville for years weekly, but then bi-weekly. You know, whether it was Montgomery and Dothan and all these places that you went, you saw them at least once a month, most of the time, two to four times a month. Yeah. Actually, and actually, what you said, what you said makes a whole lot of sense, because that's one of the reasons why pro sports thrives nowadays is 
those teams have been there so long. There's that emotional connection to them. You know, it's just that's what makes fans fanatics. I mean, look at, you know, whether it's Cowboy fans, whether it's Saints fans, whether it's Patriots fans, Seattle Seahawks fans. I mean, you name it. It's just they got that emotional attachment to it, and that's what they love about their team. And if, and if re- wrestling used to have that same thing to it. If the Cowboys only played one game a year or two games a year in Dallas, would they have the following? No. Uh, no. If I the, mean, Sa- it, if the yeah. Saints played one or two in New Orleans, no. But the fact that they're there, you know, eight home games a year, and then your playoffs, your preseason, plus training camp, they're there where you can see them, and, you, and the news follows them all year round. So you're emotionally invested in them. Yeah. Wrestling, 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 for the most part, lost that emotional attachment of what feels like a long time ago. Yeah. And in this case, there was such an emotional attachment that at the gimmick table, Wendell Cooley got much more than his Christmas paid for that year. What year was that, Bo? 87. 87, okay. But here's the other thing. We're going to throw money at Wendell. Wendell may not be our favorite. It might be Johnny Rich. Mm. It might be Doug Furness. Yeah. It might be it might be uh Brad Armstrong. So if we're gonna give Wendell money, we better give our favorites some money too. Yeah, yeah. It worked for everybody. I'll be damned. And and and, and the baby faces paid a percentage to the heel they worked with too off of their gimmicks. which is how I always believe I know it should be. I think I've heard I think I, I think I heard Tracy Smothers say it once or twice, uh, at least during the Smoky Mountain days. You know, like uh, he would he would he would throw out. I think when the when he worked with Dirty White Boy, when he worked with Tony Anthony in that feud, I think he had uh, threw him threw him money. You know, on a mm-hmm. nightly basis for his gimmicks and whatnot because of you know I mean the the, the great program that they worked together and the feud that they had. Mm-hmm. You so, know, to- and Tony's making the same payoff, but he's not making the same merchandise right you know so a lot of a lot of the guys would give 10 15 20 to the guy they were working with yeah i i think trey i think i've heard tracy say that a bunch of times he 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 gave what he could because you know i mean at the end of the day uh it's a dance or not just a dance but it's it's actually the 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 two need each other in a way i mean yeah tony's 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 doing his job he's a hell of a heel and tracy's doing his job as a baby face it's just they need each other. The, the music is made by both of them. So guess what? If if the music is being made by both both of them, it's it's only right for and Tracy does the right thing by helping out Tony there and you know giving them giving them a portion of it, giving them a percentage of it. Right. Yeah. And and if you got a happy opponent, he's going to work that much harder to keep it going and get you over. Yeah. They and I mean they had a hell of a feud in Smoky Mountain mm-hmm. that that 1993 feud that they had was just. Tremendous stuff, just really, really good. Uh, all right, Bo. So let me let me move to this. I tell you what, before I do it, I think we're going to be able to get this in on, on, on one part. So um, do do me a favor before we get to the Dutch Mantel shoots out a stoplight in Columbia, Mississippi story. <laughs> go ahead and go ahead and uh, you, you've got a, you've got your books out, you've got your website. I want you to plug everything you got before we get there. And um, if, if with Bo's book, if you don't want to buy it off his website, you can get it. From tinyurl.com slash btt 
Amazon. So, Bo, tell the people, you, you know, what you got. This will drop, a, a, you know, a few days before Christmas. But tell yeah. the people where to find all your stuff. Uh, I have a uh, big Christmas sale that I do every year. And I've got my books, lowest prices ever offered. And I've got some great Knoxville stuff on DVD that most people do not have. Uh, and I've got some Tennessee 70 stuff at kingofkingsport.com. And uh, I can't get them to you by, for Christmas by now, but I'm keeping the Christmas price sales until January 1st. So you can still cash in. Uh, as I'm sitting here uh, doing this talk with Mike, I'm actually signing books and packaging DVDs to mail out tomorrow. So <laughs> it's busy time of the year here. Slow, slow wrestling wise, but the Christmas sale keeps us busy every year. Uh, also on Amazon and, and Amazon Kindle, Use Mike's tiny URL there. That helps out both of us. But sign, I'll sign. If you buy them off of my website, I will sign the books, and Misty will sign them, and we'll throw a picture and a DVD in there with them. It goes along with the book that you'll love. Uh, check out the DVDs. If you want to know more about Southeastern and Continental, I have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash Southeastern Continental Wrestling, all one word. And I try to do every day this day in history, so you can look all the way back through the territory's great, rich history uh, here in the, the where it started in East Tennessee, then grew to it. Like I said earlier, part of an eight-state territory. Uh, I'm putting up newspaper clippings, results, match listings, just about every day. Plus, I put up pictures and bios from time to time and, and different stuff. So check that out. Facebook.com/slash Southeastern Continental Wrestling. Facebook.com slash Pro Wrestler Bo James, B-E-A-U. Everybody misspells my name the first time. You can follow me on there, see where I got going on, where I'm going to be at. And on Twitter, at King of Kingsport. And back in July, Mike, I launched the Southern States Wrestling Network, my uh, promotion that I started here in East Tennessee when I was 16 years old, which grew to run five states regularly through the 90s. And we still run every year, not as much as we used to, but I have 27 years and counting of footage, new stuff every week, southernstateswrestlingnetwork.pivotshare.com. Start with a free seven-day trial. There's over 2,500 minutes streaming right now, stuff all the way back to the early days of 1991, all the way up to 2018 on there. New stuff goes up every few days. Uh, like I said, you get a free week. Just check it out. Some of the people you can see on the network, Sabu, Tracy Smothers, Jerry Lawler, Dutch Mantel, Jimmy Valiant, Sherry Martell, uh, The Rock and Roll Express, Manny Fernandez, Jimmy Golden, The Fantastics, uh, gosh, who else? Kurt Henning, Tracy Smothers, plus all of our homegrown stars here, uh, after the new year, you'll be able to see Robert Fuller and Terry Taylor and a lot of other people that work for me over the years. As like I said, new stuff's going up every week. Check that out. Southern States Wrestling Network .com. Only four ninety nine a month. That's right. The price of a value meal. You get to relive the superstars, the legends, the histories, and the memories. Four ninety nine a month. Southern States Wrestling Network. There you go. And let me let me sing some praise about uh Bo's stuff uh, related to just some of the books he has and he, even DVDs he's got. Like uh, a lot of times you've heard us talk about Ron Wright, obviously, on BTT uh, over the years. Bo, can you tell the people a little bit about just 
the stuff you've got with Ron Wright and like I know you've got USA Championship Wrestling, a couple a DVD set, but you've yeah. got a tons of other things about <clears throat> Ron Wright. And I mentioned Ron because Ron has now, uh, in terms of our Smoky Mountain show, he has moved on and and is uh, not going to be doing much else at this point in our Smoky Mountain reviews. But um, for those who have been with us for a while, they know that we love Ron Wright. Ron Wright's a legend, and Bo James uh, not only knew him, but had many, many of talks about the great Ron Wright or with the great Ron Wright yes, about all of his stories. And, and I still talk to his brother, Don Wright, who was his partner for so many years and owned the territory with him. Donnie's one of my closest friends. I see him all the time, talk with him. Uh, if you only know Ron Wright from Smoky Mountain Wrestling, that is great. That That's enough to realize what a great talker he was. Mm-hmm. But if you want to see Ron Wright, the wrestler, get my Knoxville set off of kingofkingsport.com. I have stuff of Ron Wright against Dick Slater, Ron Wright against Ronnie Garvin, Ron Wright against Louis Talay, the only known footage of Ron Wright against Whitey Caldwell, all on my film collection here. And it's also on the network. It's also on the SSW network. But it's arena clips from the 70s and one clip from 62 with Ron and Whitey. And you will see Ron throw those punches and kicks that made him famous. You will see him as a baby face on there, as a baby face wrestler. You'll see the fire that he had. You also see him managing uh, Phil Hickerson and Dennis Condry. Then I have the entire USA run except one episode. For some reason, all of us that tape USA missed the third week of March 1988. The only thing I can figure was they had to be a big news story that preempted wrestling on in this part of the country i need to go google that and see because nobody has that episode for some reason but all the other ones are there you can start from the beginning and go all the way to the last see ron with the stomper with the moon dog with his bodyguard uh you know there's a lot of different clips a lot of stuff on the uh the youtube and stuff but i have the complete run where you can sit down your house and watch it and just see the magic of ron wright nobody ever produced ron wright Nobody ever told Ron Wright what to say. They said, Ron, your men against this guy on this date, you have four minutes. Go do it. And that, something else yeah. something else I have on the website. Rare audio from 1974 Knoxville TV where a guy held up his tape recorder to the TV that has like 90 minutes of audio. It's on two, DVD, uh, two CDs. And it's Ron and Don, Lou Thez, uh, a whole lot of other guys that came through Knoxville then. But the Ron Wright stuff that is on there is like you have never heard in your life. And I've got a few of them on my YouTube page so you can go sample them and listen to a few minutes of it. But just to hear the magic that that man was behind the microphone is well worth it. He was incredible. Uh, and like to back up what you were saying, Bo. So obviously I've talked to Jim Cornette and Jim talks about how, you know, he just kind of told Ron Wright what he was looking for. And Ron went out there and, you know, made the magic with it. Uh, and then I remember talking to Ron Fuller a couple of, oh, probably close to two years ago now. And Ron was telling me, uh, this is, this is how underproduced. And I mean that in a, in a sincere way, Ron Wright was. I asked Ron, I think, I don't know if I told you this part, uh, Bo, but I asked, Asked Ron Fuller, I said, when Ron Wright did that Nazi flag deal on USA, 
I said, did you, what did you tell him? Do you even remember? Ron Fuller at that time, it's on, it's on the show when Ron was on. He said he didn't even recall it. He just, you know, he said he probably, he said the best of his recollection, he said, I, Ron probably told me he was going to do it. And I was just like, all right, Ron, just go out there and do your thing. And, and Ron Wright just went out there and did his thing. So that's how uh, he wasn't produced, like Bo said. Yeah. The, the, the creation of the Stormtrooper mm -hmm. was a guy named Tim Fry from Knoxville. He, he lives in Florida now. Tim was a great wrestler. And he had been wrestling independents just in camouflage and painted his face. And he called himself the Stormtrooper. And I think Don Wright is the one that told Ron about him and said that you ought to see this guy. He's, he's unreal, you know, and, uh, he, he's a, he was a military guy, so he could do the repelling and stuff he did out of the ceiling in Knoxville and everything. And when they brought him in, they changed it to a Nazi Ron Fuller and Ron Wright did because mm. they were playing. It wasn't a PC world, but they were playing back in their mind memories of the Von Brauners that they had saw as children or young men in the business. They were, they were rewinding to Hans Schmidt and all these great German heels that Fuller and Ron Wright had seen coming right. up. And you know, that's where it came from and it got the heat that they wanted. And yeah, you know, um, I, I wrote a blog that's on King of Kingsport.com. I wrote a blog last year about that. It go in detail in different Germans that had been in the territory. And it wasn't put out there as a racist thing. It wasn't put out there as anything that people tried to make it now on the internet that I see. It was put out there to get heat for people to come and buy a ticket to see this Nazi get beat up by the bullet or Doug Furness or whoever he was working with that week. Uh, also my book, uh, it's on sale there on the King of Kingsport called Don't Miss This, The History of Pro Wrestling in Kingsport from 1960 to 69. That is the time frame that Ron Wright became a legend here in East Tennessee, East Kentucky. And I detail each and every card week by week for the whole decade. I give bios on Ron Wright, bios on Whitey Caldwell, all the other big stars that come through here and work. Fact versus fiction. Everybody thinks that Ron and Whitey always fought each other every week. They think the same thing about Dundee and Lawler in Memphis. It's not true. They would have a few weeks a year, and then they would separate for a year or a year and a half. Then they would come back together and do it. Ron and Whitey actually had a run here as the Southern Tag Team Champions as baby faces. And so you can learn the real history in the 1960s book, and I'm working on the 1950s now where I cover Ron and Whitey's amateur wrestling, baseball, and football career, along with the weekly wrestling cards at the Civic Auditorium in Kingsport. So when I get that done, there will be 20 years that you will be able to follow the life and career of Ron Wright and Whitey Caldwell. And then Ron Fuller is helping me now, and I've had Les Thatcher, Ronnie Garvin, Mac McMurray, and a lot of other people that was here in the 70s helping me on the 70s book. I hope to have it out next Christmas. So by the time I'm done with those three books in the next year, first one's out, the other two will be out within a year, you will be able to relive the entire life and career of Ron Wright. A legend. Uh, someone yeah, and, who does and this not is important to me. I started doing this stuff years ago because the history's told so much wrong. E even some of the stuff that Cornette 
said in uh, his Night to the Legends buildup was incorrect, but not Jimmy. It just was reported to Jimmy that way. Uh, Jimmy wrote the forward to the 1960s book for me. So I go through their fact and fiction. I give you a hundred year history lesson of wrestling in East Tennessee because it's important to me that I, I knew these people. I know I knew Ron. I know Whitey, uh, Melvin Johnson, Ed Wolf, guys that worked in this territory. That unless you grew up here, you, you've never heard of them outside of here. Now, thank God, with with all the technology, Ron Wright has become an international sensation. I get emails about Ron from all over the world. People want to know more about him. Uh, my book sold all over the world because people want to know more about him through Amazon. So it's great to be able to do this for somebody that I looked up to, somebody that was so kind to me, so good to me, who treated me so well that I was able to call a friend, you know, and I want to make sure the history is told correctly. Yeah, no, I think you do a good job of that. You know how we feel about Ron. One of the first times you were on the show, I think the main reason I wanted to bring you on was I wanted you to tell some Ron Wright stories. So yeah. if you if you're out there and this is your first time listening to Bo on the show, I want to say you probably should go back to sometime. I want to say it's back maybe December 2016 when mm -hmm. we had Bo on for the first time uh, two years ago. Bo and I, God, we must have gone an hour just talking about Ron Wright and Ron Wright's story. So it's out there. I, I just go a week talking about Ron. Right, right, right. We 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 went for we went for two hours that night, and I want to say more than half of it definitely was on Ron Wright. So yeah, uh, and, and you know, Bo, the the sad truth is, you know, I only know about him because of Smoky Mountain Wrestling. So uh, you know, Jim Cornette, give him credit for giving Ron that that spot there, and and I mean, he was magic on that TV for a year and a half on Smoky Mountain Wrestling. There's no other way yeah. to say it. Um, and and it made a lot of people here in East Tennessee stand up and take notice when Smokey first started running because Ron Wright was involved. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, also also in my Knoxville set in '79, there was the big split with Fuller and some of these guys, and Ron Wright and some of them broke away and started restarted Ron's promotion, All Star Wrestling, which was in the Tri Cities before Southeastern. And I have some of that on there. Some of the people that wrestled for Ron early on, that Ron let go out there and find themselves and give them interview time and gave them matches, Randy Savage is on that collection. Some of his his first appearances in East Tennessee, his first interviews on East Tennessee TV's on there, and he's just starting to learn how to be the Macho Man. That that's just starting to click, and that's on there and. Ron helped a lot of people along the way, and you can't find anybody that ever knew him to say anything bad about him. Uh, Ron helped a lot of people outside of wrestling. Ron helped raise money for a lot of charities here in our, our hometown of Kingsport. He never did it for fame. He never did it for a pat on the back. He did it because he come up hard, and he wanted people to have a better life than he did, and Ron was just a great, great man, and he was so good at what he did, and he's one of the best talkers ever, ever. And he is one of the toughest men that ever walked this earth. In 66, it's in the book, he was in a riot. Him and Don were in a riot in Greenville, them against 300 people. They never got Ron and Don off of their feet. They fought them, never got them down. 
and Ron was stabbed in the neck, and they pulled the knife all the way to his tailbone, 300 and some stitches. He almost died that night. He almost bled out. They never knocked him down. Yeah, we uh, you actually told the story of that on the last time you were on yeah. with me. And Ron Fuller told his, I don't want to say his version. It doesn't sound right. Ron told us his recollection of uh, of that story, too, from, from Ron as well. Just yeah. um, really, really good stuff. Uh, so get your thorough, um, I guess, uh, inundation of Ron Wright from Bo James's website. Uh, Bo, and, tell and him the, real fast, what, if you think Ron Wright was something... Wait till you find out about Whitey Caldwell. Because <laughs> Ron and Don say he's the greatest it ever was. Yeah, that's something there. Yeah. It's a shame. It's a shame, you know. I mean, just TV wasn't what it was for those guys during their and time. And he but... got killed so early. You know, he got yeah. killed a few years ahead of, of VCRs and stuff. And, yeah, the only film that survived is on that collection. And, you know, 40 seven see 46 years after his death people still put flowers on his grave and i know that for a fact because i'm one of them you know he died before i was ever born but i've heard about him all my life and then getting to know ron and don and les thatcher and people that were very close to him i have such a respect for whitey caldwell i knew his wife i know his kids i know his grandkids and you know just the way that ron and don they 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 bow up with pride when they talk about Whitey, because Whitey was, you know, as Don Wright told me, he said, Whitey was Ron's opponent, Ron's business partner, but Whitey was nine years older than Don Wright. So mm. Donnie said, Whitey was my hero because when mm. Donnie was in middle school is when Whitey's career started. When Whitey was in high school, making all the state records and becoming the stud athlete here, Donnie was in elementary school going to watch him yeah. play ball every week. So, you know, it's, but just a, what a great story that man's life was sad ending to it. Drunk driver hit him at a hundred miles an hour head on, killed him. But yeah. you know, just what a, what a legacy and legend that that man left here. That's incredible. Incredible stuff. All right, Bo, before we get out of here, actually, I think I got two things. So, uh, again, it's, uh, tell them your website and then we'll get to the last couple stories. King of there you go. So all things Ron Wright, anything that Bo has written, all of the VH, uh, VHSs, all of the DVDs, everything he's got is on that site. And uh, like he said, he'll honor them. Uh, although the you know he won't be able to get it out to you before Christmas, the prices uh, will be good, uh, you know, through the first. So you got you still you still have time to get things from his site. All right, Bo. So. <laughs> I said one more story. I think I might have two because I, I really want to hear the the midget uh, story from you and Ricky Morton uh, the the <laughs> week the week that Smokey closed. But before we do that, because that excuse my French, Bo, that shit was hilarious. But <laughs> let's go first off. I gotta have you tell the Dutch Mantel story. Uh, Dutch Mantel shoots out the stoplights in Columbia, Mississippi. What the Columbus. hell am I talking? Oh. Col- Col- Columbia, Columbus. I'm sorry. Yeah. What the hell am I talking about? Please tell the people what, what I'm every, talking about here. Every wrestler has a town that they just hate going to. <laughs> that they just just don't like it. Like when I worked in Memphis, I hated going to Blyful, Arkansas. And if anybody from Blyful is listening, I'm sorry. But there was just something about that town. I guess the payoff and the just, uh, it just, I, 
Anytime I saw my name on the booking sheet for Blythewell, I thought somebody in the office was mad at me. I'd go ask, what did I do? You know, why, why can't I go to Corinth, Mississippi? Because those both ran on Friday night. Um, Dutch hated Columbus. Hated it. And he used to say a beautiful sight to him is Columbus, Mississippi in my rearview mirror. <laughs> and they ran Columbus every month or maybe every two weeks. Um during Southeastern and Continental. And it wasn't the best town on the, on the loop. It wasn't the best town in the territory, but it was not the worst town either. Far from it. But they was just, Dutch didn't like it. So he got the idea one night, I'm going to shoot the stoplights out downtown. And then they, they, uh, they'll never let me come back to this town. <laughs> so he shoots the lights out downtown Columbus. And when the police come, Robert Fuller takes credit for it because he don't want to go back to Columbus either. <laughs> so <laughs> they, both, they both are trying to get ran out of Columbus. They don't want to go back. <laughs> it didn't work. Uh, so, it didn't so, work. They were still going back there all the way to the end. <laughs> Ah, so so so. In a nutshell, Dutch got ribbed by Robert Fuller. Yeah, Dutch is trying to shoot the lights out, so he, well, he shot him back. out. Oh, that's what I meant. He shot yeah. him out, but but Robert Fuller beat him to it. Takes yeah. the credit for it as a as a rib. <laughs> yeah. Ah, it's beautiful. You gotta love territory <laughs> wrestling just for things like that. Ah. Oh man, yeah, that one that one had me laughing. Uh, all right, one more story, Bo, and then we'll get out of here. Uh, God, I thought you did a phenomenal job talking about the final week of Smoky Mountain Wrestling on on BTS, and I I wasn't going to talk to you about this because I mean honestly, if people want to hear about the final week of BTS, they can go to they can go to to their feed and listen to it because it, it it really was some good stuff that you guys talked about. However, you told a story. About, uh, I don't even remember the day, but there is a, a, a you've got great midget stories. The, the, the Cowboy Lang one was a good one, but he, this one. My, sec, my second book, I have a complete chapter that's entitled, He's, It's Not a Child, It's a Drunk Midget, uh, <laughs> about the police being called on me for slapping a drunk midget who was trying to throw up in my brand new pickup truck. Uh, but there's a whole chapter of midget stories in, in my second book. It takes all kinds. There you go. I'll say this before anybody starts picketing or or complaining that I'm anti-midget or against little people or whatever. (laughs) I call them midgets because the midget wrestlers that I knew called themselves midgets. Right, right. I've never heard a wrestler, a little wrestler, call themselves a little person. Not one. Never. And (laughs) there's some of them that I have the greatest respect for in the world, like my friend Butch Cassidy, who I think is one of the best wrestlers pound for pound that there ever was. And I just, I, I thank the world of Butch. Butch helped me a lot when I got started, when I was a kid refing, and, and, and he was booking some towns and running towns. He helped me a lot when I was refing. He helped me a lot when I started managing Butch was great to me. I saw Butch several times last year, and it was just great to see him. Uh, Butch was one of Little Brook's guys. I have all the respect in the world for Little Brook, Little Tokyo, Cowboy Lang, uh, you know, all those guys, Little Beaver, Little Louie, Sky Lolo. Those were athletes. Those were wrestlers. 
yes, they were three and a half feet tall or three feet tall or, or butch over four foot tall. They were a little guy, but they were wrestlers. They were athletes. They were tough men. And I have all the respect in the world for them. The problem is somewhere in the late nineties, they would just take any midget they found and say, okay, you're a wrestler. And most of them were not mentally capable of understanding our business. They were just getting booked because they were a sideshow, lack of a better word. Yeah, no, you, you hit the nail on the head. They, they basically became like the circus freak, which is not, um, which is probably even worse than calling someone a midget that doesn't want to be called that. I, yeah. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but my, yeah, they became a sideshow. They became and, a circus and, freak. And these, this crop of midgets that came along hurt Little Brook's sons, his second generation that he had. Uh, which were great wrestlers, the little karate kid, beautiful Bruce, all those guys, Cowboy Lang's son. But, you know, they wanted to get paid. These other little midgets that they just picked up and said, okay, you're a wrestler, they were willing to go for whatever because they liked being a part of the business or they thought they were the star or whatever. And so it actually hurt the guys that were really trying hard in doing this. Uh, right, right, but, right. The, the last week, of, I'll try to give the, if you want to hear the whole story of that last week, which was a, the craziest Thanksgiving week that I ever had, yet not the craziest week I have ever had. So when you're listening to that on Between the Sheets, you're going to say, my God, listen here, you're just going to hear it. I lived it, and it was not yeah. the worst or the craziest. But Cornette called Ricky to come back to Smoky Mountain for the last weekend. Right, and you give a little background, Bo, but yeah. Ricky had been fired, right? And this is the from, final week. From the USWA and, and Smoky Mountain. Right. Which was a wonderful blessing to me because Ricky came to work for me full time and I was running a lot of towns and Ricky started booking for me and I had a t I ran my hometown here every Friday or every other Friday then plus a lot of spot shows and Ricky's right off of that TV and I've got him working for me and it was great. But right. Jimmy calls him to come back, and Ricky was with me, and we were already booked that week. We were supposed to be in a Middle Tennessee Thanksgiving night. We were in, uh, I think, Cordell, Georgia is the name of the town. South Georgia, where Ben Masters run, a long way from here. And then Saturday night, we were in Pulaski, Virginia, which is almost to Roanoke, which is about 90-some miles from the Tri-Cities. So Ricky told Jimmy, or, we're going to do these dates. We got to, because these people are the ones that had fed Ricky since he'd been gone besides me, and they were feeding me, too. So Jimmy said, okay. So we worked it out. We did not go to Middle Tennessee for the Thanksgiving thing. Ricky was able to get out of that. So we went to Knoxville, Georgia, back to uh, here to, P to Pulaski, Virginia. So we have to do Pulaski, Virginia, and then get out of there and go as fast as we can to get to Johnson City. It's about 150 miles. They both start at the same time or close to it. So all day I keep telling Ricky, there's no way we're going to do this. You know, I mean, there's just, if we get in any kind of weather, any kind of traffic, we're, it's, it's, it's done. 
Right. Any little thing, any little thing messes y'all up because yeah, of the, the 150 miles to cover. I mean, um, it's just, yeah, there's no margin for error at all. None. So we get to Pulaski. I think Pulaski starts at 7.30 and John C. starts at 8, I believe. So it's 30 minutes, but still 150 miles. So we get there. We work early. We come straight out and got to go. And I, to this day, I don't know how this happened. I don't know how he got home. I don't know anything <laughs> other than when we left Pulaski, Virginia, we had one of the midget wrestlers from Virginia in the car with us. Uh, tell people how you discovered he was in the car, though. He's in the back seat asking questions. <laughs> Just and he's he's about three and a half feet tall and about two hundred pounds. If he was two inches taller, he'd be perfectly round. And, and he, little guy with a deep voice, he looked like the little cartoon with the bulldog with the the, the hat on and the cigar. That's what he looks like. <laughs> but the whole way down the road, and I'm driving, and I mean I'm flying. He's asking Ricky like, "Hey, Jim Cornette hit you with that tennis racket? Does it hurt?" So he's the biggest Ricky Morton mark on the planet. The biggest one ever, still to this day. <laughs> so we're driving, you know, and so we get to Bristol. We're, I mean, we're flying. We get to Bristol, but it's like 25 miles to Johnson City. And I look and I say, Ricky, we need gas, like right now. It won't make it. I said, no, we need it now. We're, we're, so I had to whip into a place. We're still in our gear. So Ricky's like, run in, pay, I'll pump. So I take off and I go in. People's honking the horn, yelling, because Ricky's standing there full rock and roll gear, you know, the bandanas, <laughs> the fringes, you know. Here's this little short, fat midget standing there, asking him stupid questions, you know, and it just, so we kind of come out, we jump back in the car, we take off, get to Johnson City, come up behind Freedom Hall. And there's Sandy Scott standing at the back door looking for us, waiting on Ricky. So I pull right up to the close to the back doors I can get so Ricky can jump out and run to the ring. And literally, that's what he had to do. Go, he came through the back door and went straight to the ring. But as, <laughs> as I start to pull off to go park the car in a parking spot, the look on Sandy Scott's face is Ricky's running and Sandy's waving and the little midget's running behind him young. Wait, Ricky, wait, Ricky, wait. Because he thinks he's going to the ring with him. It's just, it's priceless. And like I said, you want to, I, I relived the whole week on Between the Sheets and Great Cross Promotion 22 podcast. It, it takes me a long time to tell that story because it was complete insanity. And if you want to hear the craziest story that, of me and Ricky Morton, the blizzard of 96, which was just like three or four weeks after, or it would be four or five weeks after this. It's in my first book, Do You Want to Be a Wrestler Kid? And it just, but I've had great times with Ricky. I, I, Ricky lives here. He married a girl from here. I, I knew his wife before they were ever married. So I, I've known Andrea most of my life. I've known Ricky since I was 15 years old, I think. Yeah, 15 or 16. Uh, I talk to Ricky every few days. I see him 
few times a month on the road somewhere. He's got his wrestling school here close by. I go down there sometimes, see what's going on. But, you know, it's just him and Robert have been great to me. I seen Robert on Thanksgiving night too, you know, just people that I, I'm so blessed. The Lord has blessed me so much through wrestling. All these people that Ron Wright and the rock and roll and Dutch and all these people I get to tell these stories about were people that I grew up watching that were my heroes. And now they're my friends and I can pick up the phone and call them whenever I want to, or go see them. And, you know, it's a crazy world that we live being gypsies on parade for all these years. I was 15 years later than I wished I was. Cause I wished I was there for the full run of the territories. I started at the end of them, but man, I've had, a, I've had a great ride. Yeah, man, that, that was, a, that was a tremendous story. Like you said, that the full version of the midget is, uh, it, 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 ah, God, I, I laugh so hard because it's just like you said, to this day, you don't know how he got in the car. You don't know how he got home uh, 150 no, miles later. Because when I got back to Johnson City, you know, I live here in between Kingsport and Johnson City. I, I got a ride home and I left Ricky with the midget. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's classy, Bo. <laughs> we had the same oh. midget with us another time. And we stopped at McDonald's. And we go in. And I mean, places, there's people everywhere. And there's a girl behind the counter that the midget is looking at. He likes her. And he's kind of trying to get her eye. And, you know, just he ain't got a shot. He don't have a chance. <laughs> he but don't he, have a puncher chance. Yeah. <laughs> so Ricky gets up to the counter and Ricky said, uh, he wants a chicken McNugget happy meal and a milkshake. And he got so mad. He cussed Ricky out, stomped out of the place, you know, <laughs> cause he told him he wanted a happy meal. Yeah. He told, he's telling <laughs> us one time, what the movie, what the movie or not. I said, Oh yeah. They make you pay full price or half price. So <laughs> any jab that we could hit him with, because he would drive you nuts with his stupid questions. Just, but he was, he still is to this day, the biggest Ricky, Ricky Morton was his hero. And, oh, we wrestled at a fair last summer and he was at the fair. It was near where he lived in Virginia. And Ricky told me the midgets out there. I said, good, that's a good place for him. Cause I'm not going out there and I don't have to see him. <laughs> oh so, man. <laughs> Oh goodness, Bo! I could go all night listening to the not only not only uh, little people stories, but uh, old old wrestling stories. Man, this is a uh, again. This is the fourth time you've done this, so I really appreciate it. This is a uh, good stuff as usual, man. Uh, we'll, we'll definitely have to do it again, like we always say. Yeah, anytime. Just let me know. It, it it always seems to be this time of year because December is always the slowest time of year for wrestling with the holidays and everything going on, but. Uh, you know, I'm, if we can fit it in any other time, I'd love to come on and talk about your stuff. I try to listen as much as I can to you guys. I can't listen every week, but I try to catch as much as I can. Different guests you have on the reviews of Smoky Mountain. I like listening to you guys' opinion of it, seeing it, you know, with fresh eyes 25 years later. It's always entertaining and interesting. Yeah, it's 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 a different perspective on it. I mean, it's one thing to watch it when it's happening and now all these years later to 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 watch it or rewatch it. It's fun, man. It's a it's a good little time, man. And you know, at the end of the day, we're we're just like you, man. We um, you know, we love the territory days, and we grew up on the old stuff. And it just it's always going to be the greatest of times for us. There's no other way to put it. You know, those are the good. It days. was magical, magical. Yeah. Well, it was real. That's, 
Yeah. And, you know, I, I grew up, you know, you grew up in Watts territory, a great place. I grew up where the Knoxville and the Mid-Atlantic territories met. I saw both of them on TV every week, and they both yeah. ran live events right here 20 minutes from my house. So I, I, I lived in a wonderful place to see wrestling. And we got the yeah. Memphis TV here for years, too. Yes, I mean you got you got all that. We we um we haven't committed to anything yet, but as far as like um you know Smokey Smokey's eventually going to end. I think we got about a year and a half left of it. But I mean once that ends, we've talked about doing you know the same with Continental that we've done with Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Uh, I know not every single episode is not on YouTube and whatnot, but I guarantee you if we do that, I'm gonna have to touch base with you even more often so that we can yeah, make sure we get it all I, right. I th- USA would be a good because it's only 24 weeks. Yeah, you can get through that in half a year. Yeah, that that would be a good good. I would love to hear you guys talk about the stormtrooper and the moon dog and the the RPMs getting chased away from uh, Graceland by security and you know all the stuff that went on there, the Tommy Rich bloodbaths. Mm-hmm. So that was some and good stuff a, there. And you and you you probably got a lot of insight into all that stuff too, wouldn't you? Yeah, I was I was there. I was yeah. a kid. I was super fan, but because of connections through my family who were involved in the business decades before my mother was booking the riches and Armstrongs into Walmarts because Walmart was starting to expand and grow all over the South. And my mom worked in promotions for Walmart. So she would book them into, uh, grand openings and and that kind of stuff to make appearances. So I got to know Johnny and Davey and Tommy rich real well as 14 year old kid. And I still keep in touch with all three of them today. And, you know, it's just, I've had a wonderful life. Oh, uh, you gave me an idea, Bo. I'm going to talk to Doc and Harper about that, too, because that's a, that's a good point of view. I mean, the thing about USA is it's, uh, like you say, you had those connections with your mom and Walmart, but it's, we didn't, you know, it's it's a short-term commitment because it's only 24, it's 24 weeks, right? So it didn't yeah. even quite, yeah, so that's, uh, and, and you only got one episode missing, so we could get yeah. through that and, you know, we could spend five and a half months on that and be done with it. Yeah, and it's, it's the... Ron Wright is on every episode. Yes, yes. I haven't watched every episode start to finish, but I've watched enough. Um, I went back and clipped all of Ron Wright's segments from it, and uh, God, he's magical. <laughs> he's so good. He yeah. does so much. He's so good. And, and, you know, the thing about Ron is he just – what you saw of Ron – was Ron. It just was turned up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, cause like if you saw Ron, I mean, he was more laid back away from the ring or whatever, but he still was that, Hey boy, how are you? You know, he just Don right. Same way. They're loud. You can hear them all over the building. Uh, that walk they had just everything about them is it's just them. There was no acting. There was no portraying a character. They, they were Ron and Don, Wright, The masters of the East Tennessee dog whooping. And, buddy, you better believe everything they tell you because they're going to deliver. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Well, Bo, once again, I appreciate it, man. This was a lot of fun as usual, and we're definitely going to do it again because uh, something always comes up for us to discuss. Who knows what it is? But as I dig more into old stuff, man, I'm always uh, looking forward to your perspective on it. And for you to either tell stories or retell stories or summarize them even better for me. <laughs> you know the drill. Well, thanks for having me. Just let me know when you want me back. All right, everybody, that was Bo James, 
making his fourth appearance on Booking the Territory, the unprofessional wrestling podcast. So hopefully you enjoyed it. Bo is always a great guest. I mean, I can't tell you enough, man. I'd check out his book about Ron Wright, man, and uh, all the stories he's got. I hope you enjoyed his um, midget story from Smoky Mountain Wrestling or Little Person. We're not trying to offend anyone here. But I'm sitting here with Doc and Hardbody Hopper. We're about to close out this Christmas episode. We really do hope you have a very, very Merry Christmas out there. Happy Holidays, Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, whatever you celebrate, make it a good one. And remember... Don't forget to be thankful at your Christmas dinner and make sure you filibuster and tell everybody how great we are and all that good stuff. Um, before I throw it to you, Doc, real quick, and because I know you got something from Harper, I did want to say, I don't mention this often, but please, every time you see the show on Twitter, hit retweet. When you see it on Facebook, hit the share button. We need to help grow this show organically. I love the patrons out there. I love everybody who uses the Amazon referral link. But retweet and share the show on social media for us. That is a great way to help grow this show. And it doesn't cost you anything besides you using your thumb to hit retweet or share. Now, Doc, let me, I'm going to throw no, it to no, you. No, no, no. Let me tell you What something. you got? Harper got on here for the patrons a few weeks ago and told about getting involved with a girl from out of state who was squirting everywhere. Yeah. And pissed on him. And... It's that kind of shit that's going to have to grow this show. We can't just go put that out somewhere. We can't have, I mean, apparently Conrad has rock hard dick, hashtag rock hard dick or something for Blue Chew, but they don't want to deal with us. So we ain't got no advertisers. Somebody's going to have to step up and do something here. You can do your part by using the Amazon link, becoming a patron, engaging with Harper's filth, and... (laughs) I can't keep fucking these skanks, man. Harper's going to die. If we don't get our dollars up, he's going to die. And retweet the show. Here's the other thing. We have 225 reviews on Apple. I know for full well we got multiples of that that listen. Many, many, many multiples of that that's listening each and every week. What are you doing? Rate the show. Do your part. It is. If I, if you said, Harper you and said I 225 so reviews? If Harper and I are working so hard to dig you, just take you through life's problems so that you can smile while the rest of your life is a fucking burning tire fire, <laughs> the least you could do would be to give something back to the show. Now, I want to segue real quick into uh, we, we saved the spotlight this week for the end of the show. So it's time for Doc Spotlight because I always say when you do work for the show, you get some spotlight. Um, so – uh, we had one of our patron. Uh, he's a patron, right? Don't oh yeah. Is. Okay. Yeah, yeah, long, so he's long, a, he's one of our. Patron. He's a, a patron, and I sent the picture to Harper. Harper, do you know who's in that picture? Which one is the patron? Oh, the patron's on the left, but on the right. Oh, I'll, I'll give you, you know a who, hint. Do you on know the who right, that is? I don't fuck, dude. It's someone uh, get, from Smoky Mountain. I feel like we could give him like twenty-five, thirty guesses, dude. I wouldn't get it. Yeah. Do you want to tell him who that is on the right, Doc? That's not any, Johnny. That's juicy, Johnny. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) Juicy Johnny? Was that a fucking wrestling convention? Yeah. That's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) He had no idea he's such a legend in BTT land. 
<laughs> so whatever his name is, uh, Spy Boy Sycophant, or no, no, no. That's uh, his, his name is his name is Alan. But uh, Alan, he okay, got well, Alan. now, 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 now. Before you like to do your little thing where you play heel, he also got photos with Dutch Mantel, Jim Cornette, The Midnight Express. He was having a good time, but I can't lie. The one that popped me the most probably was Juicy Johnny. The fact that Juicy Johnny was at this convention, and That's Juicy crazy. poor Juicy Johnny had no idea uh, he was such a legend in BTT land. He has no idea he's popular again. So somebody <laughs> asked him. Apparently, he asked him. You know, did you tell him that he's in Urban Dictionary? And apparently, uh, Juicy's a good dude, and it hurt his feelings to let him know that. So now, Are you serious. It's our little secret, so everybody. Oh, shh, it's our little now, secret. now, just so you know, when um, Alan got this picture with Dutch Mantel, uh, Dutch's ears were filled up with how great he is on the Smoky Mountain show. So, Dutch got an earful of the greatness of Smoky Mountain. When are you going to get Dutch on the show? Man, Dutch won't reply back to me. And he quit his podcast too. Oh, did yeah, he? he did. It ain't well. I he found out there wasn't no money in that shit, just like we found out. We yeah, keep doing no, this huh? shit for stupid reasons. I keep getting on here and begging these assholes to give us some money so we'll keep wanting to do it. <laughs> That's why they're giving you no money, man. You, you just we call them quit. assholes. We could, quit. we could just quit. This could be hey, the I end. Got, I got, how, I got, how, hey, that's how all the other, just about every other podcast that you listen to, except for the big, big names, do. They just quit doing them because they find out there's no money in it. What do they we do, do quit. We, we stick in here year after year giving you entertainment and, like I said, navigating you through the dumpster or tire fire that your life is. We need something back. Now, We're Doc, coming for you. We need your Christmas money. Now, Doc, let's be real. You and I also do this show because of the bullshit and saps and pathetic fucking people we have to deal with. So it is a stress reliever to us too to come on here and talk a little shit. And I could just go crazy. down to I could just go down to the Asian massage parlor and get that taken care of. Bell. No, yeah, for like for like fifty bucks. Right. Hey, y'all want to hear something funny before we get out of here? Here's two things. Hey, when are we gonna? Up. Hey, you know this is right. But this is coming out on the uh, right before Christmas, right? Yeah, twentieth. December me 20th. and you might, me and you might be. Uh, when this comes out, we might be in the middle of the BTT Christmas party. We we may be. It may you be gonna happening. Get some, yeah, you're gonna get, well, you're gonna drink Henny at this thing, or are you gonna drink eggnog, or are you gonna drink some purple drink, some scissor. Nah, that, see that eggnog is good when you buy one bottle of that Pennsylvania Dutch, but by the time you kill that one bottle, it, it it's too rich, and you're like, okay, I'd have yeah. enough. I'll, I'll pick it up next year. I mean, it's a, how much liquor t- they got in that. Dude, it's, it's like strong. 180%, man. This shit is like fucking rocket fuel. Because the, <laughs> the only fucking yeah. eggnog I've ever had was just like the stuff that my mama would get, you know, like by the milk. No, Harper, that, go buy a small bottle of that Pennsylvania Dutch, <laughs> and I'm telling you, take a sip, pour some in a glass, and you will be like, like you'll be really, breathing I, fucking I mean, fumes. He came over to my house and just, I, I mean, me and Sasha had to pick him up out of the front lawn. And <laughs> he drinks so much of this shit and it is just, it's potent. I told it's him though, true. we get some, I get some, uh, I'd go, you know how you get those, um, you get those empty six pack things now and you can get a mixer of six different beers. I told him I'd go get like a whole bunch of different IPAs for him to try when, when they come over. Uh, yeah, no I thanks. have uh, eggnog daiquiris. 
Oh no. No, we no. don't have daiquiris really, Hopper. Well we Mike, one are you, place. Are you at all worried that Sasha's gonna see all the improvements that we've done to our house and then you're gonna get hit up with that shit? Nah, not really. She's over it. She 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 After she yeah. painted that tile, she's good. Yeah, painted the tile and it got the living room painted. It was you know, it was all good. How's that, there. How's that trash can working out for you? Fuck that trash can. I hate that trash, <laughs> hate that trash right, can. That's man. something else you could have heard about on the patron episode, I think, is one of the you having a fight with a tr- kitchen trash can. I think we did talk about that. I, I do have to mention something though, real quick for you. So I'm I'm just I'm in the middle I'm looking at the Facebook group right now. That's tinyurl.com slash BTTFB group. Go join it. It's unprofessional. Lots of shenanigans and bullshit there. Um couple of things, uh, a couple of listeners I wanted to mention real quick. Kevin Carter, and I'm just randomly doing this so no one get mad if I forget your name, but Kevin Carter says they're talking about taglines that they stole from us. He said, I stole something from the BTT guys. Um, this guy works as like a medic and EMT, and, um, and he's always saying the term all the way live, and he's saying <laughs> it, uh, he said it so much that like, everybody's starting to pick up on it that he works with and the people that are doing it so much, they're doing it so much that it's driving him nuts. And it's literally about to make him do the Von Eric thing. So he used it and then people started saying it too much and now it's driving him crazy. And then, uh, we got, um, he's going to love this cause he always gives me a hard time. Chris Cepeda says, um, he's been using be blessed and be a blessing all the time this holiday season. So there you go. We give y'all taglines and we have a good time and we talk a lot of shit. So, yeah, become a patron. Tinyurl.com slash Patreon BTT. There you go. Or or use the Amazon link. It's not too late. Tinyurl.com slash BTT Amazon. Man, I'm gonna yeah. get blackout drunk this Christmas and just put together I'm put a, I'm gonna put together some kid toys, some assembly required, and then get blackout drunk. That's ho, nice. ho ho. So yeah. I'll, I'll be drinking. Giant. I'll be drinking Hennessy, Henny at the uh, BTT Christmas party. Um, Man, I want to. I want to get some, dude. I want to. I want to see it. I you, I told you that I'm contemplating a race turn. You've you've What's never drinking. You've never drank Hennessy before, Doc. I don't think I've. Man, I've been in a lot of places and done a lot of things, but I don't know that I've ever let that nasty elixir cross my lips. Um, Doc, I just sent you a picture of Sunny as of today. Oh, I would do that in a second. Yeah, bro. no, she looks good, huh? Bruh. <laughs> Y'all so dirty. It's a tagline, Harper. I bro, gotta go. Bro, bro, just think what Shawn Michaels looks like now. Yeah, she's winning. It, it, right. And she's all that fit the jail shit. He's balled up top, and she's balled down below. I and love his, it. And his <laughs> eyes all fucked up, and I mean, she looks like a nice, you know? Oh, that's oh. right, man. She went, she got in there and, and and had nothing to do but work out in prison. <laughs> she came what an out asshole. Good. That's nice. Well, I'm saying, man. I shit, yeah, dude. Love me some sunny. Always have, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> so Merry so Christmas, my Yuletide log is in effect. <laughs> <laughs> I just sent y'all another one. It's, it's a meme of Santa Claus, and it says, "Is this asshole serious? The fuck I'm supposed to find a truckload of bitches?" Oh, I've seen that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't like the one I sent the other night, man. You said it was dirt too dirty. I was like, the little boy said, "Ask Santa." I said, "I want a little brother." And the next cup yeah. was Santa plugging the mom. 
Okay. Uh, and and one more thing, and then we're gonna get out of here because we uh you know we want you all to have a great Christmas. There's a new term on the Urban Dictionary. Um, thanks to oh, Steve oh. Mall, Young Blood, uh, the Metairie mouthwash is now on the Urban Dictionary. Thank you, Hopper, for creating uh you know having one of our listeners create the Metairie mouthwash. If you want to know what that is, just go to Urban Dictionary. We won't even read it for you, and you can find out what the uh, Metairie mouthwash is. But it is, it is as dirty as it sounds, thanks to Hopper's shenanigans on that patron episode. So Harper's there you going go. To Harper's going Sorry. to hell, pal. You better get to I, church this Christmas Eve. I think we're Whatever. all going to hell. <laughs> I think we're all going to hell. All right, Doc, you got anything else before we get out of here? Let's go, ho. Yeah. Hopper, what about you? Let's roll, bro. Harper, no, we got a couple of days. Wildcat Sports, December 25th, Meisler Middle School, right? That's right. Help Della. 7.30 bell time. So, look, I know this is dropping on the 20th. If you listen to this anytime before the 25th, the night of the 25th, when you get tired of your family and you're living in the New Orleans area or the Gulf Coast area and you don't want to deal with them anymore Christmas night, go to Wildcat Sports. Help out our friend Della, who is in a terrible car accident and has had over, like, 20 surgeries at this point. I can't yeah, remember, but she's, it's a lot. She's not doing Yeah, man. So, there you go. It's a benefit for her. Wildcat, Brian Cage will be there. So, there you go. Lots of stuff happening December 25th. Meisler Middle School, bell time, 730. Doors open at 630. Go check them out. Go check out Harper. Give him a hard time. Yeah. In his canary suit. You, yeah, I mean, you should you should have an extra large eat the rag and just give everybody a Christmas present. <laughs> Go to sleep. Go to sleep. <laughs> so once again, Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, whatever you celebrate. And Harper, with that said, hit the tagline and take us home. Book it, bitch. Before we get out of here today, I want to shout out uh, all the patrons and thank the patrons for their contributions to the show every single month. We don't have sponsors. You know how we do it around here. No sponsors, just you guys supporting what we do. And we thank you very much for that. Special shout out to the Hall of Fame patrons out there. Josh Dunn, at Ryan in Auburn. Good old Justin, K underscore row 86. Disrespectfully classy, Marky Blassie, Robert Smith, Joseph Ice, Tim Arecci, Adam Price, Brian Evans, Mark Wilson, Armando Martinez, David Jordan, Jesse Jacobs, Josh Fields, Chris Myers, Gerald Green, Mitchell Johnson, Mike Pru, Will Parker, Jeremy Bryant, Classy Alex, Slider91US, David DeVries, Frog Zeppelin, SV Pageant, Bill Salsa, 
Big Rich at Spyboy Sports Cap, Ari Miller 39, Dustin Roberts, Jay Shiny, Ruben Espinoza, JMM7530, Merciless Jones, Jesse Lucas, Chris Browning, Justin underscore Andretti, Codeman E22, Marty Howell, and T Hog94. Thanks for being Hall of Fame patrons. And again, thanks to all the patrons out there who make this show possible each and every week, twice a week for us. Hey, and if you're a Hall of Fame patron and you're at your seventh month of membership, or you've reached your 18th month, and so on and so forth, subsequent to, uh, I should say, years, please send me an email. I will check, and um, I, as long as you're due, I'll get you out your T-shirt. So thanks again for being Hall of Fame patrons, and until next week, we'll catch you. Book it, bitch. <laughs>